welcome to Hooplecast. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me are my co-hosts... Daryl. Matt. Mel. And we're back. And we're here to talk about, well, one of my favorite, very favorite HBO dramas, the number one ladies with an apostrophe detective agency, mm-hmm. and then also the first part of a miniseries called Generation Kill, and I cannot think of a stranger pairing than these two <laughs> shows. I, yeah. I agree with you. Did you make a uh, a prediction about my reaction to uh, to one of these last week? I mean, last time. No. 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 Which? Because at the end of one of these, I had I suddenly thought, oh wait a minute, did did uh, someone say that they thought I would feel a certain way about one of them? Because if so, they're right. But um. Um. Just, well, which I'll one of the? You can say which one of those? Yeah, it was uh, the generation kill or whatever. It's mm. called. Yeah. Alright. Um, no, I said for the, for the number one ladies detective agency that you would feel from the beginning, like when it first started, that it was unusual because of, like, right away, I mean, it feels like we're going to a place that we don't see a lot on television. This, mm-hmm. this country, this continent, this, like, like, we don't see Africa portrayed in such a, kind of benign nice way like not of of a place full of corruption and awfulness like that just seems to be sort of the bent we always get when we see any country in africa portrayed so that feels feels unusual really always i don't know name a show where they just live a normal life in africa i remember this movie that i used to watch as a kid like all the time i mm-hmm. loved it it was my favorite movie called cheetah <laughs> <laughs> And it was about like it was like this very like heartwarming movie set in Africa about like this cheetah that had been like uh, I don't know if it was like um, orphaned or whatever, and then they kind of raised it from a baby, and then it kind of no, it was a kids movie, but whatever. It was so nice, and I loved it, and it was like very heartwarming. And they trained the cheetah with like a they had like a piece of meat tied behind a bicycle, and they were riding the bicycle, and the cheetah was chasing them. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> And it grew up, and then they they traded the bicycle for a jeep, and they were driving away with like a piece of meat, like dragging behind the jeep. <laughs> and then they released a cheetah to the wild, and it was a beautiful movie. Spoilers! <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers for cheetah. What, was that 60, was that was that sixty seconds? Yeah, was, was it? Did you time me? <laughs> <laughs> no, it just seems like most of the things that, that take place in Africa are like Hotel Rwanda and stuff like that, where it's like. Right. Right. All about the corruption and violence there, and uh, not not one of the more d- democratic countries like uh, Botswana. Um, I guess we're ready for the uh, the sixty second plot summary. I don't have any network news because we recorded not too long ago, and not much has happened. The only thing that sort of stuck out was that HBO is uh, being criticized by some directors for broadcasting versions of their movies where the aspect ratio is all wonk- wonky. Like the airplane edits was the guy who did the most recent King Kong movie. He was criticizing HBO for like, why are you showing the airplane version that I had to cut all bizarrely? Yeah, that would be annoying for a director. Yeah, if you're a premium uh, movie network, why are you showing the wrong aspect ratio? (laughs) But that was about it. Like that was interesting, but it there really isn't anything else. There's an HBO comedy coming up called Camping. And I was talking about it this morning on Calavici Fashion Cast. We don't cover comedies, but I'll just mention it because uh, David Tennant is going to be in it. And Claire is a big, um, what we call her, a tenant twat. That's what we call her. No. (laughs) With affection. With affection. She loves David. She loves her secret celebrity husband. 
I like that David Tennant, but not quite like that. So uh, I'm gonna get out the get out the old uh, spinner here. I hope uh, it's not me because uh, I feel like it's going to be me because I avoided doing it earlier this morning on Calvici Fashion Cast. So I feel like it's probably gonna be me. I hope it's Carol because she hasn't done it in forever. <laughs> <laughs> better what not, the? It better not be me. Well, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> what happened there? It's like it stopped, and then it's like, nah, three more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This the suspense. It's building suspense. Teasing you. So, uh, Matt, why don't you get your stopwatch and time me, and I will do this as best I can. I have my smartphone here. Uh, I'll just look at my computer clock. All right, will um, you give me the signal to go? It's time to go. Three. Two, one, go. Okay, uh, we're Botswana, Africa, and the the lead character's father has died and left her a bunch of cows, which she sells for cash to buy a house on Zebra Drive, which is like the posh place to live. And she's also going to open a detective agency because she likes solving mysteries and helping people, and she loves her country of Botswana. And she moves into a post office, and then a secretary uh, from the secretarial college uh, comes on board. She had 97% percentile it's like it's unheard of and they solve some uh, little mysteries like uh the dubious daddy and the uh <laughs> the guy w- uh, with the missing fingers but the big thing is that uh idris elba has kidnapped a young boy for some like dark magic purposes and uh frees him uh or she like liberates the, the poor little boy and uh i don't know there's something about an orphanage it's be too complicated in 60 seconds to explain it uh i think that's good the end Oh my god, exactly like a minute. Written, well, no, it was like <laughs> Pretty much. 57 seconds. 57, well, that's a win. Yeah, that's good. That's a win. You did good. Thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I think Matt saw what wrong. I think it was exactly a minute. All right. <laughs> we disagree. We'll give him 59. Right. <laughs> uh, the number one ladies detective agency based on a book by author Alexander McCall Smith. It was directed by Anthony Minghella. Originally, it was a television movie for, I think, the BBC and uh, co- one of those co-financed ventures between BBC and HBO, and it aired in the UK on March 23rd, 2008. And then the BBC and HBO commissioned seven more episodes, and 
HBO broadcasted the entire thing uh, March 29th, 2009. So a full year after it aired in the UK, but that's because it aired, they aired all the episodes that had been produced in one big go. And uh, then it was not renewed for a second season, but I think that's partly because Anthony Mangella, who was the director and really championed the series, passed away at age 54 on March 18th, 2008, before it even aired in the UK. Oh, no. Mm. What a shame. Mm. Lean they into aired, the mic, Carol. They aired uh, them all in one. No, what, what a shame. That's that's terrible that he he uh, passed away before he was even able to see the reaction. I What was the reaction? Because it, it deserved a great reaction from everybody. I mean, it's it's really... I thought it was excellent. I'm going to look it up. Ladies. Okay. But you said they aired all the episodes in one day? No. Oh, okay. Oh, that's what I thought you would... No, no, I meant they aired them uh, in one, like, month and a half kind of period, not oh. not like in the UK where they where they aired the, the TV movie and then they didn't show more later. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, there's the reaction. Uh, the show... Let's see, the BBC announced the pilot as the centerpiece of its 2008 winter schedule, broadcast in the prestigious Easter weekend. They promoted the series as a collaboration between acclaimed British filmmakers Anthony Miguel and Richard Curtis... It received 6.87 million viewers, easily beating ITV One's "He Kills Coppers." Oh, okay. Is that like a is that a is that a big big show there? He Kills Coppers. I don't know. Seemed like it know. did pretty good over there. It, well, it, good because it it definitely deserved it. I was very impressed. I really was. I, you know, when you were talking before about the fact that this isn't something you normally see, um, you know, it's just a a very casually personal story just in a setting that we don't normally see and uh it was very refreshing and the characters were charming and and it put a smile on my face all the way through and uh so yeah except for the she made mistakes she wasn't except for the child fingers (laughs) i wasn't so happy yeah no it wasn't so happy but it was also i mean you know bad things happen in this world and I mean, they didn't, it wasn't Mary Sunshine. It was, you know, it had some dark moments in it. And she wasn't perfect, which was also good. I found her so, so charming and cute. And she really reminded me of one of my friends. Like, she yeah. had the same uh, mannerisms as her and the same, like, quirky weirdness as mm-hmm. my friend. So I was like, oh, like, I, I, I just took to her, like, pretty quickly just because yeah. of that. I think, yeah. Yeah. She really. She did really botch that uh, cheating husband case, though. She botched a bunch <laughs> of stuff. Like, like even her yeah. first case, like she was like really awkward and terrible, like and, like convincing this person to like hire her. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, oh, I love your story. Good story. Ooh, I, I love that. Story. <laughs> 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 I know. <laughs> I know. It's just like the, the fact that she says, "Oh, it's a story." No, it's a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> this is my life. Yeah. <laughs> my name is Happy. Happy Babette. That is a good name. And are you happy? <laughs> Most of the time I am happy. Although, of course, at the moment I have come to see you because I am not happy. Of course. But what kind of parents you had calling you happy? Imagine if they called you miserable. Yes, 
That would not have been good. <laughs> oh, ugly. <laughs> Imagine if every time someone said, are, are you ugly? You would have to say, yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Or if they had called me fat, <laughs> then I would always have to say, yes, it is me. I am fat, for example. Oh, oh no, ma. I'm of traditional build. And many men like it that way. Of course. Now, uh, tell me, what is making you unhappy, happy Babetsi? Here is my story. When I was very young, my daddy left home and we never heard from him again. I'm sorry. No, do not be too sad. My mother and I were very happy. But one day we heard from a friend that they had been in a hospital in Zimbabwe and had seen a man they think was my dad. And he was being carried out on a trolley, dead. Oh, now I am sorry. Then, two years ago, my mother herself died. This is truly bad news. Yes, I, I miss her very much. But she had taught me many things. And since she was late, I have made a great success of my life in her honor. But two months ago, I was sitting in the garden of my very nice house when an old man approached and, and he said to me, are you happy, Babette? And I said, yes, I am. And he began to weep and cry. And he said, my darling happy, I am your daddy. Your daddy? He was not dead. Mm -mm. He was not dead. This is a very good story. <laughs> my daddy returned and I took him in and, and I fed him. And every day since then, I have attended to all his needs. And there are many. He does no work, he does no cleaning, and he is always asking for more beer, more pap, and more meat. Well, my sister, taking care of an old man can be very taxing. Hmm. I took care of my father for many years of illness. It was hard, hard. But in the end, it was the best time I ever spent. Because he was your daddy. Yes. That is my problem, Ma. I am starting to suspect that this man may not actually be my daddy. Not the daddy? I think he may be an imposter who is only living with me because I have money and a good job. This is a very bad story. I'm sorry, Ma. No. It will be him who will be sorry if I discover he is not the daddy. So, Ma, you will take the case. You have come to the right place, Happy Babetsi. This is definitely a case for the number one ladies' detective agency. Houston, we have blast off. Take off. Houston, we are in the rocket ship and heading for the stars. Case number one, Happy Babetsi and the dubious daddy. <laughs> and I, I love that they kept calling him like a with it like a just like the I love that they kept calling dads daddies daddy <laughs> daddies yeah. I thought that was so cute. <laughs> so uh, the actress who plays Ma is it Ramatswe Ramatswe I, I, I can't it was what her name was Precious I think I know yeah her name is Precious but that's never what they call her. No, uh, they did call her Precious a couple of times. Do they? I always thought yeah. it was Ma Ramats Ramatswe. I, I, I'm, I should have gone back to listen to that pronunciation. Um, I thought a few women were called Ma, so I thought it was just a... Ma is like ma'am or yeah. miss. 
Yeah. And then uh Ra is like sir. Okay. So they they go they they're always going Era or Emma, which is like yes, yes sir, yes ma'am, that kind of oh, thing. Okay. But cool. it doesn't seem like as formal because you would say yes sir to your boss, but maybe not so much your friend, but they were always going Era, er, yeah. Irma. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons I, I, I really love the show is how they in, interject that um, kind of dialect mm. into, that, yeah. into the language. It, it feels so um, foreign, but just p- pleasant and polite. Like, everyone's is so polite to everyone. I love it. Like, realistically, all these people sh- wouldn't be speaking English, right? No, English is the official language of Botswana. Oh, okay. Interesting. So there must be some, like, leftovers of, diff- like, the dialect that they spoke before. It mm. used to be a... Botswana was an English um, territory, I guess. Yeah. But now it, it gained its independence in 1966. Now it's part of the Commonwealth. Of, I don't know about Botswana, but I know that a lot of countries that were colonies, um, both in Latin America and in Africa, if they were a colony, let's say, of England, you'll have a number of different languages that are native to that country, and then... English becomes the lingua franca, so to speak, um, for for the country as a whole. So you might have groups of people. I mean, they still speak the the language that was there before the English colonized, but this group will speak one language, and you know that group will speak another, and this other will speak another. But they all speak English, so there will be a lot of speaking English, but they also might be speaking other languages in between and mixing it together and so forth. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The second language is Setswana. That's the like local language. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe the country is 77% Christian. So there's just a heavy Western was, influence on this country. It was obvious with the uh, singing of the hallelujahs, whatever was on at the school. In the in the class there, like before they started the class, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, which make, makes me like a little bit sad because I feel like uh, you they killed their culture. They killed, like, <laughs> kill, it killed their culture. Like that's mm. so sad to me. Like whenever I see stuff like that. Well, I guess certain parts of the culture, mm-hmm. it's not bad if they go away. Like magic, magic child stuff. fingers. Yeah, magic child <laughs> fingers. It's not so great, but I don't know. Don't knock it till you try it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a typist. Do you know what that is? I type things for the police. Last week, I typed something about your husband. The police are looking for him because they say he sells bad things, very bad things, parts of children. They are going to arrest your husband and hang him. I came to warn you. They are going to hang you too because they say you are a part of this. Aye! Aye! They do not like witchcraft. They are ashamed such things happen in Botswana. The boy is not dead. They cannot hang me if the boy is not dead. I can... What are you saying to me? What boy? Where is this boy? I'm not lying. He's not dead. He's with our cattle. The big man who want powerful medicine. It has to be fresh. It has to be fresh when they take it. This boy from his family. No, no, they bring him here. Not me. I don't even know their names. 
I never leave this place. Never. You come with me. Who are you to ask me all these questions? You are not a typist. I don't believe you. You will take me to this boy now. And I hope for your sake he is not harmed. Not one hair on his head. I will not chase you. I will drive back to the police. They will find you with their radars and dogs. It's also sometimes, again, I, I'm not up on a lot of um, African history, um, which saddens me quite a bit, but um, the the history of religion throughout Africa is a lot more complicated than sometimes we, we think about um, because, you know, a lot of these religions or originated either right near Africa or in Africa. And so they, yes, there were the European missionaries and stuff, but there were also, um, there was also, uh, oh, I don't know, 1500 years of, of, uh, different religions spreading through, uh, since Jesus's time and thousands of years before that, you know, so it, it's kind of complicated what religions are, are what and the combinations and things like that. Oh, for sure, yeah. But yeah, it's still just like I don't know. I just find it sad that it's like all these different religions just kind of got taken over by this one religion. That's kind of I don't know. I don't know. It's not that I like. I don't know. It's complicated, like you said. It's very, very complicated. And 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 I tend to agree with you, Mel. Just so yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. I do tend to agree with you on that. Yeah, I went onto YouTube and I was trying to find like um, an impression of a Western person, like an American who went to Botswana or maybe lives in Botswana, and just sort of like, what is your experience? Um, and all I only found two clips, and they were both from missionaries. And mm-hmm. I mean, all right, but <laughs> it just you know you go over there as a missionary, you have an agenda. Like you're not right. just there to experience the culture, yeah. and then like report back with a objective viewpoint, you are there to influence them. There's uh, a lot of things over there. I tell you, <laughs> <laughs> you're there to tell people that they're wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. There's nothing from like, I, yeah. I mean, as I was thinking doctors without borders or, or you know, something, but yeah, you know, I couldn't find, there wasn't there wasn't very much and and both were um missionaries i'm maybe i think one was baptist another one was mormon mhm not sense. not not totally totally sure um the actress is jill scott who is known in the us as being a, like an r&b pop hip hop artist not so much an actress um she's a fantastic job I think she's she's terrific. Here, this is from from Wikipedia. Jill Scott was shortlisted for the role, but the producers were uncertain because of her relative lack of acting experience. Mangella decided to cast her after viewing clips of her poetry readings and musical performances, noting her rare screen presence. Mm-hmm. So the only song like I I think anyone know like I know from her, sorry, as uh, the one the Hate on Me song. You know I, it if you heard it. I would have to hear it, yeah, because I'm not sure. But anyways, I found her, I found her so, like, she was really, like, really pretty. Like, she was so cute. Like, I don't know. She was just, like, just so cute. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She was well well cast. Yeah, I think so. I think everybody was well cast in that. Yeah. Yeah. 
I can't think of anybody um, the, that wasn't. The secretary was great. Yeah. <laughs> I love her so much. <laughs> she's so tense. <laughs> she's got this intensity about her that is like, <laughs> oh, she makes me laugh so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she kind of, as she's sitting totally still, and yet she still seems to be vibrating somehow. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that happens, but yeah. I was surprised they didn't have her uh, a computer for her by the end of it. But. <laughs> that actress yeah. is Aniki Noni Rose, who American, another American actress. Um, I know her from. Well, I I know her as the daughter from the really obscure musical Caroline or Change, uh, <laughs> but she is probably best known as the voice of Tiana from the Princess and the Frog. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. She was. Oh, most recently in Bates Motel, not the last season, but the season before that, I think she was like the detective who was, or maybe not detective, but federal, like FBI agent who was pursuing a Romero for corruption stuff. Huh. I don't remember. Um, yeah. I think she's been in The Good Wife too, as well. Yeah. And uh, Black Panther's dad was in this. <laughs> <laughs> who? Which one's that? Uh, the the fake daddy. <laughs> oh yeah, dubious daddy. The dubious daddy. <laughs> he played uh, Black Panther's dad. Yeah. Did you see that movie yet? Not me. Yes, no. I saw it. It's good. It's good. Yeah. yeah. Definitely worth going. Yeah. Hmm. I'm just gonna go get some whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, talking about dubious daddies makes Matt want to drink whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I thought the casting was great, and I. I I always enjoy it when you have a a culture you're not used to seeing and the norms of the culture are very casual that it isn't like they're saying, "Oh, look at this, look at this." You know what I mean? Where things are just people are just living their lives and it's like you're seeing uh, you know, you're just getting a a taste of how things just move without like a lot of big spotlights being shown on it and that it's not like making them into a cartoon or anything right right not commenting on it just letting you make your own come to your own conclusions and such you also have uh, david oyello i don't again i'm sorry if you're mispronouncing uh, his name uh he's probably best known as from playing dr martin luther king jr in the movie selma oh but uh, he was the husband who, like, loves the fatties. <laughs> hey, where can we find an iced tea at this time of night? The only place you can get iced tea is the President Hotel. And it will cost you an arm and leg. Uh, and I need both arms, Ma, to put around you. Don't you have an iced tea at your house? Don't you have iced tea at your house? Oh, no. And my house is far, far. Mm. And I bet your house... Has a love seat for your lovely seat. Eh? <laughs> Am I right? I know I'm right. Eh? I have no love seat in my father's house. Emma has zebra drive. Zebra drive? Not bad. I'm going to tell you one thing right here and now, my 30. You are a proper, gorgeous African woman. You are fat. And fabulous. Amen. Fabulous. 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 Uh, I knew he looked familiar. 
I knew he looked familiar. And yeah, I really messed up on that one. Anyway, go on. And Idris Elba is the like local gang leader tough guy, the one who was responsible for abducting the the child for his magic fingers. Um Idris Elba, normally really, really good looking, not that appealing in this show. I don't know what <laughs> He was still very good looking. He was just he was looking enough. I think he grow, he must grow into his like features more like in the next five years because he must because I I had trouble recognizing him at first I, was I like, didn't recognize him at all his skin was so smooth in this <laughs> <laughs> I guess he was much younger than I remember ever seeing him but plus like I mean yeah. like evil evil is not necessarily like an attractive feature either like right like snipping the fingers off of kids is like oh. <laughs> That makes maybe, someone instantly unattractive, in my opinion. He's, he's just that good of an actor; he can like yeah. put on an air of evil, yeah. and then we don't recognize him anymore. Yeah, <laughs> I did not recognize him at all. Um, when the name came up, I was trying to figure out. I was like, "Wait a minute! I should know who that was," and I have no idea. There's a fair number of local actors as well that this series utilized, and during my really brief research. Uh, into this show, and I, I wish I had time to do more because I think it deserves more. Uh, one of the local favorites to play Precious it was uh, a local actress who had played the role in a community production, it said. So apparently these series of novels have been adapted for the stage as well, as well as radio plays. Wow. Hmm. So yeah, how old is the story? Yeah, it's very tempting to try and track some of those down. It was really kind of cool. I have a copy of the first book that I think I picked up in a used bookstore, and it's not very long. And I don't know why I never read it. It's just something I like. I kept like I'm going to I'm going to read this at some point, and I never did. And now I now I really want to. Like I want to I want to watch the rest of the show. And you can, by the way, get the entire thing on YouTube. Oh, cool. um, someone uploaded all the episodes. Um, but I'd also like to read some of the novels. I don't think they're very long or difficult. I think they're just like the, sh- the show and they have sort of a effortlessness about them. There's 18 in all so far. And mm. the first one was published in 1998. That's a lot. Yeah. And there's at least 33 of the radio dramas or 31. 31 episodes have been broadcast. The most oh, recent wow. one was August 5th, 2016. The episodes encompass the first to the 16th books. They star Claire Benedict uh, as Ma R- Ramatswe. Mm. Hmm. What else did I like about this show? <laughs> I when she, I was glad she was not slick right from the beginning. Yeah. That that she had certain skills that made her feel like she could be a detective. But and she'd read a couple books, but it was obvious she really was totally in above her head. But she was still point. really confident about it, though. Yeah. It made it work, you know? Yeah, exactly. Mm. And, I mean, her attitude was, was really excellent. Yeah. In, in many ways. Kind of like a can-do, oh, you know, I'm just... I'm going to go uh, pick up this kidnapped child. I won't be murdered horribly. <laughs> I know. No, I was scared for her at the I end. I know. Mm. Me too. And especially when she stopped to like, uh, kind of like reposition him in the car. I was like, oh my god, like, she's gonna get, like, they're gonna come upon her and, like, there's gonna be some sort of danger, but nothing happened. She, like, just went right up to that lady with machete. Yeah, like, that's, (laughs) that's gutsy. Like, she's, Mm -hmm. 
She's got she's she's got balls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You kind of wonder how much of it is pure courage and how much of it is mm, she's bluffing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, the naivete is a nice way of putting it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, you kind of wonder both, because like when she was scared with, um, the gangster, and then it turned out that, I mean, did she purposely put that little girl in danger, or was that because she had them taking pictures? I mean, I can't imagine she purposely would put that little girl in danger. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of... But then when there was the pictures and stuff, I'm like, well, she had it set up to take pictures? Or was she just having it set up to take pictures of her with the guy Mm -hmm. so that uh, she would have something to go along with the tape to to prove that he was the one that was talking? Yeah. Or or to reinforce her um, testifying that he was the one on the tape. Um, Yeah, I mean, I... I have to think that some of that fear that she had was real. So I wouldn't want to think she was stupid. Yeah. This isn't kind, but it, it is one of my criticisms, is that the writing, in terms of like the plotting, can be sloppy. Mm. And it could be that simply not a character choice they had her go into that situation, but just kind of like the plot called for it. Maybe. Yeah. And I mean- I'm okay with that, because... I don't really care about the plots, really, or the mysteries. Like, for me, it's it's the place, it's the characters, it's the kindness, the politeness, the kind of easiness to everything, mixed with some humor and heart. Like, I don't really care about hitting all the story beats. Yeah, I get that. I just feel like um, how how she ends up in those story beats is part of her character. And part of, a big part of that, the interest in that story for me, I agree. I don't care what the mystery is. Um, what I do care about is how the characters react to each other and how they develop and what they show us about their society and about them. And I really like the fact that she developed through the course of um, what we saw this first. It was just the first one, right? It wasn't a double yeah, it was originally a TV movie, so it was okay. like a double length. All the others are normal hour long. Okay. So it was, yeah, in this in this first movie, in this first two hours, um, I mean, she really developed a lot. I mean, one of my notes is uh, after she gets slammed by the uh, the wife that you know got upset with her and accused her of stealing her husband. Was <laughs> Called her a tart. Yes. A fat, fat tart, tart, I think. Fat <laughs> tart, yeah. Um, or I think the fattest tart, actually. Um, <laughs> the fattest tart in all Botswana. Something like yeah. that. And all of Habarone, which is the yes. capital, by the way. I have looked at the photographs. And yes, you are right. There is only one possible conclusion you can draw from them. I'm afraid so. The conclusion that you are a slut. A great big slut who has seduced my poor husband. This is you, is it not? Kissing my husband? I am playing a part to demonstrate your husband is unfaithful. How dare you kiss my Kremlin, you thief! You Jezebel! You have stolen my husband from under my nose! But you wanted proof. Proof that my husband is unfaithful. Not proof that you are the fattest tart! In Habaroni! 
I suspect this is not a case for which we will be receiving payment. And because the minute she started agreeing to go leave with him and everything, I'm like, uh-oh, oh, you know, this is not going to end well. And the wife is going to, you know, accuse you of... I knew where that one was going. Yeah. And, I mean, that she put herself in that position where that could be done and and um, and gave the guy the out. Yeah. Um, I wish she had just presented it a little like, okay, this is what I did. <laughs> this is why I did it. Honest. She should be, should have been honest to begin with. Honest or how? Presented her Like, just technique? tell her, like, hey, by the way, like, I had to do it, but I, you know, like, not, like, I had to involve myself in this, like, well, you know. That was, that was her naivete. Yeah, mm-hmm. she shouldn't have done it that way to begin with. That was that was the consistency of her naivete throughout. Yeah. Yeah. It showed up in different ways, and that's why I could look at when she was dealing with a gangster, and the little girl showed up, and, and you know, here now the little girl has been put in this position. Um, it's like I can I can get it that that was part of her naivete that she's learning these very rough lessons. And happily, the little girl did not end up paying the price. Yeah. And happily, she did not end up paying the price um, because, you know, she could have gotten badly hurt in this whole thing, too, or killed or whatever. I mean, that guy looked really dangerous. Yeah. You know, but there was, and I would hope, and Matt, you can tell us, I assume, you've, so, you've seen this, the rest, right? Yeah, but this was a long time ago. This is when it first came okay. out, and I've never done a rewatch, and I've been looking forward to getting a chance to rewatch it. So I do plan on watching the uh, the others. I would hope this that summer. her development continues. You know what I mean? Yeah, I that, hope so. Yeah, I would um, hope that that she, as she's learning, because I mean, to me, it seemed like this was a really nicely done series of of learning experiences for her you know she learned how her her process works the breakthrough and all of that Mm -hmm. and she also learned you know that uh things can get tricky and she's gotta she's gotta think of these things because like with the wife i'm sure she she didn't sit down and tell her what she did and why and all of that because she didn't think she never even thought that the wife would possibly turn on her that way or interpret it that way. Right. Kind of a disadvantage of being such a big hearted person is that you can't Mm -hmm. imagine the worst qualities in people. Mm -hmm. And she needs to, if she wants to be a detective. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. So I did like, I mean, it felt like a really authentic uh, flaw in her character. Mm. One of those kind of good flaws. Right. Like when when you go to a job interview and they say, Tell me one of your weaknesses. Oh, I care too much. <laughs> like, it's yeah. one of those things. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Except in her case, it's true. Yeah. And she, you know, she really, I mean, you get the feeling there was a certain, she had a good childhood growing up and a great father and all of that. And then she had a horrible husband who mm-hmm. hurt her badly. But that was kind of confusing how they just kind of like filled that in with backstory, but. Yeah, that is true, and and come to think of it, it doesn't really have a, like a lot of weight over the rest of the episode, mm. except for when she rescues the kid. Yeah, yeah. Well, I it mean, kind of comes back, you know. Yeah, it 
and it also does involve the insurance company. Yeah. Because that's her, her husband's lawyer. Mm. Um, and that's why she knows that there's something fishy because she knows that the, the lawyer is a piece of garbage. That, that was the other. <laughs> I loved how they, she called all of her cases so like just dubious daddy, like fishy fingers. Like, <laughs> 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 oh, I wrote them all down. Um, Oh, I said, Happy Babetsy and the Dubious Daddy sounds like a Ramjack title. That's why. <laughs> it does. Alice Boussang and the Question of the Cheating Husband. <laughs> they all do, actually. <laughs> she takes a lot of her, her cues from a book called The Principles of Private Detection by author Clovis Anderson. Not a real person. Uh-huh. <laughs> the author of this series, Alexander McCall Smith, writes... Um, she does respect and revere Clovis Anderson, and she'll often quote the rules he stipulates, but then she ends up doing her own thing. By the way, I think one of these days I'll have to write the principles of private detection. People always write to me and ask, where can I get a copy of Clovis Anderson's book? Of course, it doesn't really exist. Also, in one of the novels, I'm going to have Clovis Anderson turn up in Botswana. I think he probably comes from somewhere in the American Midwest. He's actually a failure. He's never really been a very good private investigator. Ma Rawatswe will realize he doesn't really know what he's doing, but she'll be so kind to him. She'll give him a little role in one of her cases and let him think he solved it. <laughs> oh, that's nice. That's so cute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, she's she's such a charming character. And, you know, but it's nice that they, you know, they managed to, to make her human as well as nice, you know. Not one-dimensional. Yeah. What was so her mechanic friend? He's like way older than her, isn't he? Um, not necessarily. He looked way older. <laughs> I mean, he he does look old. He does look much older. She looks very young, but I'm not sure is she supposed to be as young? It's really hard to tell age sometimes. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I don't what know do how old she's supposed. to What be. do we think of them as a possible couple? Oh yeah. <laughs> Well, it was like the show was kept pushing for that the whole time. They kept hinting at it, and then at the end, like it was, she was like, "No, that's okay." <laughs> <laughs> well, she said she's not going to marry him, but then she gave him, you know, and she let him on. <laughs> well, <laughs> women. <laughs> He's a widower too, so I think he. She's also protecting protecting him too. Yeah, but she. Okay. <laughs> Carol's forming a thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can uh, thank goodness you can't see me otherwise, you know, the smoke and the steam coming out of my ears. Um, no, the the thing about that is it's complicated. She's got and I was thinking about this as that last scene because they do play it with a lot of layers, which I thought was very cool. Um, I mean, they've already shown that she's got a libido going cuz uh, you know, cheating husband yeah. Had her, you know, oh, yeah. had her going some. Mm-hmm. Um, and but at the same time, she's got this guy that she obviously cares about. Obviously cares about her. She's very fond of him. All that good stuff. But she's also starting a business. She's got her own thing going on. She's. Did you guys get the feeling that the ex-husband was a long time ago? I didn't get the feeling it was a long time ago. Yeah. Well, he shows up at the funeral. Right? Right. But I mean that they were divorced a really long time ago. It doesn't say how long ago it was. I didn't get the feeling it was like months ago, but that it wasn't like five years ago or something. Um, I don't know. 
But she obviously is still having flashbacks about losing the baby. I mean, not that she'll ever get over that, but it seems really close to the surface with her. And the ex-husband seems very close to the surface with her. And, you know, jumping into something else is is not good. So I don't know whether she just needs time and maybe she'll end up, you know, wanting to be with this guy or whether it's out of the question forever. I don't know. Because mm. we're mixed messages. I think it's kind of fast, you know, to be like, hey, like I've known you for a little while. Let's, would you marry me right. without right. even going out with me? Like that's a little right. bit jumping the gun there. Like, you know, like. It was sweet of him to be like, you know, like, oh, you maybe we should get married. <laughs> but, yeah, it's a little fast. Yeah, she's, it, at one point they said a month. The secretary's yeah. been there a month. She friend-zoned him. Aww. In a nice way. I don't, I don't know, know that she totally did. I yeah. mean, the kiss on the cheek, and then when she looked at him and she was like, it's, uh, that it's going to be okay. I got the feeling she was saying, you know, give me time. Yeah, yeah. Because if she had totally wanted to friend zone him, it, she would have. I think she would have done it in a different way. Mm. I like their relationship, though. They're very sweet. Yes. Everyone on the show is pretty, pretty sweet and nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the wife wasn't that great. No, her ex, her no. ex husband and his lawyer are pretty awful, and the gangster wasn't. Great. I meant our heroes are nice. <laughs> the heroes I mean, are nice. They're it's not like. It's not like a you know house where like the lead character is an asshole. Oh yeah, yeah no no no. Like yeah, no real. No, this is, is house even like an even charming like is he even charm like a charming asshole or he's just like an asshole. Some people find him charming. I don't find him charming. <laughs> I, I don't think most people do, but some people. Find you know, because there is such a thing as a charming asshole, but I don't know. Oh, there's a lot of them. Yeah. Boy, oh boy, are there a lot of oh. <laughs> Oh, I just went into real life instead of entertainment for a second. Or uh, another comparison would be Jessica Jones. You know, she's the, yeah. she's the protagonist. She does good things for good reasons, but she has a real blunt edge to her. Yeah. Or sharp edge to her, either way. She's she's a real dick. She can be a dick, which is yeah. fine, but that's not this show. This show is what if people were just really pleasant all the time? Yeah. <laughs> and I appreciate the lightness of it. This is almost, it's, there's almost like a genre of stuff. And I'm trying to think of another of these, um, of these kinds of places where you have a place, a contained place, a town or whatever, where you have a number of charming people who you just like them and you want to go spend time with them. Northern exposure. Northern exposure. Eureka, maybe. Gilmore girls. Yeah. And it's almost their own genre, as opposed to the, you know, anti-hero um, characters where, you know, it's like you don't really want to know them in real life, but uh, they're entertaining to watch on TV type mm-hmm. thing. And, and this is definitely one of those charmed kinds of places. Yeah, Northern Exposure is a really good example. Ma Grace Makutsi, who is the, the secretary, mm-hmm. with her... Level of intensity. My my favorite bit is um, when she encounters the typewriter and she says, uh, "Is this the 21st century, or did I slip into a time warp to a time when dinosaurs roamed the earth?" <laughs> yeah. Yes. 
she has such high standards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, everything she says just makes me laugh so much. Thank you, Ra. I don't think we need to take both typewriters. We are not yet, as it were, inundated with typing needs. Quite so. But in this imperfect world, I was only able to locate two typewriters. And both have problems with certain letters. But I sincerely hope that between the two machines, you'll be able to type every word you need. Hmm. You are a dear friend, Ra. I know, my it's you who is a dear you friend. You are so dear to me. No, honestly, it's nothing. I appreciate what you do. These are, these are just Sensitivity small about which... my needs. Can I ask a small question in between this discussion? None of my business. About who is a dear friend and who is not. Just to check the century. Excuse me? Is this the 21st century or did I slip without realizing into a time warp? What are you talking about? At secretarial college in history class, we were told of a former time before computers when typing was done on machines and our country was called Bichwanaland and dinosaurs roamed the earth. Coco! And that is someone at the door. Excuse me. I'll go. Oh, I, you know, oh, I just realized when you said that, it, this whole thing made me feel like I was watching something from like the 70s or the 80s. And uh, I mean, I kept having to remind myself that it was taking place now because so many of the attitudes and everything else were, I mean, I could definitely see from back when the whole, oh, why do we have to have a telephone and and all of that. Um, it It was very much... So much more like, okay, we're, we're back in my childhood, you know, kind of thing. It's, it just wasn't that unusual an attitude for, you know, here in the States. Um, if you were going to have an eccentric character or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I like, like it. I'm sorry, go on, Mel. No, sorry. Um, at the end when she was like, didn't want to take, uh, pay, I thought that was an interesting choice considering how, Difficult she was being with everything else. This is for paper. This is phone installation. Answer phone installation. Uh, connection charge. Call charges. And uh, so on. And what, what? I am signing. I am saying nothing. And this is for the services of a secretary. Ah, uh, Yes. Although we haven't actually discussed the level of your wages. No. So, to save you strain, I have made my own decision. Very well. Let's see. Secretary is free. Emma, that is correct. My calculation after these agency expenses is that... We have solved five cases for, an, for a net profit of exactly nothing. And as long as you have earned nothing, neither will I. But when the ladies' detective agency becomes the pride of Botswana, as it most surely will, then I will be the first to enjoy the fruits of our labors. Thank you, Ma. And may I say that at the end of this first month, I have been happy with your work. One hundred percent. Ma, this is very good news. Yeah, I I didn't think it was fair to her, and I didn't think that she should that um 
the lead. I just don't know her name. Um, precious. Precious. It's okay. easier to say precious. Yeah. We'll yeah. go with precious. Yeah. Um, um, the you don't precious. Think she should have done that. You don't think she I really don't think she that? should have because, um, the reason there wasn't a profit was not just because of the expenses. I mean, she gave the profit to charity. Yeah. Which was her choice. That's fine. But she's got a nest egg from her dad, and she can make that decision. I don't know what the secretary's, you know, financial situation is, Mm -hmm. but, you know, she's not... Yeah, you pay um, your people. Yeah, and she's not... You gotta pay your people. Yeah, and she's not making the decision of how the money should be spent, other than insisting they get a telephone, which is, you know, good business. (laughs) (laughs) So, So, I felt like that was a little bit, like... Okay, that's great on her part, but um, not really right. Yeah, like if, if it was if it was yeah, me, yeah. if it was me, I don't think I would have done that. I don't think I would be that nice. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think like you need, you need to get paid. Like you can't yeah. do it for free. Like that's at that point, it's volunteering. You know, like you yeah. need to at least get some sort of like. At least if she bought her her groceries or like you know paid her rent something you know help me with my cost of living. I mean maybe how, how maybe she, she lives with her parents maybe. so she doesn't have to pay rent. Perhaps. And but what she's saying is you know maybe if she wants to be like a co-equal partner yeah. in the right. enterprise I mean, or something. I get, but I did get that feeling from what she was saying that she was kind of expecting um, to be more a partner sort of situation. A profit sharing sort of deal but um then they definitely meet, need to make an agreement about that because i know we're being too practical it's yeah a it's not really the point of the show. it's a fantasy and i get it but it did kind of make me go huh yeah i guess i've, I've just been in those situations where you know the day that the manager came in or the vice president in charge of the you know what a, international whatever and said oh because profits are down none of you peons are going to be getting an increase until profits are up just like we won't be getting a bonus you won't be getting anything yeah. and they're sitting there and i'm saying to myself yeah but when profits go up you're going to get a bonus and we won't mm. My coworker likes to tell this story of when they were thinking of unionizing and the the CEO of the company said, things are really bad right now. Like, I may I may have to sell my second house. <laughs> you're like, oh, fuck you. Yeah, that's, that's, that's dickish. Yeah, yeah. I rem- remember we were sitting in a meeting and the VP was saying how ridiculous it was that people weren't using the medical savings plan, you know, as a tax shelter, um, you know, because you could, you know, you can save some money, which is absolutely right that you can, if you know that you're going to have the medical expenses, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, we worked in benefits. We all knew how it worked. Um, but he said something about, you know, 33%, you know, tax that you can save. And I just, it came out of my mouth in the middle of the meeting. I just like, well, I'm not in the 33% tax bracket, but I'd really like to be. And people laughed, and I did not get fired. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was a kind of dumb thing for him to say. And a bunch of people that were getting paid, you know, like 
a quarter of what he got paid, if that. So. Mm. <laughs> but these people, they don't, they don't, most people can't put themselves in other people's shoes, you know? I know, it's <laughs> Yeah, like, there's just, there's no sensitivity there. I'll tell you, having worked where I worked, I, I was, when you do retirement plans, you see everybody's paycheck. And you have access to absolutely everybody's money. And it is pretty obscene what some people in corporate America get, you know, paid as a bonus. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, you've got this person who makes, you know, makes up, oh, what, five times, six times, seven times your salary. Okay. And then you see that as a a bonus for whatever they just made a hundred times your salary. Um, it's like, all right, that's great. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, um, uh, discouraging. Yeah. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That too. The case of happy Bapetsi and the dubious daddy, no developments, no leads, no progress, endless cups of bush tea. Excellent. Very accurate report. Ah, thank you. Please make a file so that you can file it. It is just that I cannot help observing. You have been sitting in your chair for two hours and 47 minutes doing absolutely nothing. Doing nothing? I've been thinking. And thinking is the most important part of the work of a detective agency. Eh. Oh, yes. I am, despite superficial appearances, working extremely hard. And have you had a breakthrough? My thinking is progressing, but not yet to the point of breakthrough. Then I will leave you to work hard once more. Thank you. I meant to look up bush tea. I was drinking uh, uh, rooibos uh, tea when I was watching. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Out yeah. of just a happenstance, or uh, I was like, "Oh, I should drink some rooibos." <laughs> so yeah, uh, when uh, she I've said- never had it. So can you describe it for for us and for the listeners? It's a little bit. Um, well, it's kind of it's reddish in color, and uh, the one that I was drinking was like a peppermint rooibos. So it's like you know a little bit minty, but I find rooibos itself kind of has like um, a little bit of like a medicinal taste i guess but not in a really bad way it's just like a bit more like medicine-y tasting than tea would be and i think it's more caffeinated i think than black tea i think what is it made out of again it's just like the like uh i think it's like red bush tea leaves i think there's a plant it's like just a different it's just like a different like a different type of tea like it grows in africa I don't know. Would you, I can't say it had a, would you say it had a hibiscus quality to it? Maybe a little bit, yeah. There's different flavors. Like, you can get different, like, you know, varieties of rooibos. If you just get the plain stuff, though, it's like, yeah, it's a little bit, I don't know, a little bit mm. tart, I guess. Yeah, kind of like hibiscus, I guess, a little bit. But I not if, a little I wonder if I could get it at the Starbucks. You could, yeah, for sure. Oh, you think so? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm. I don't see why not. Matt, give me your mouse. Thanks. <laughs> I'm just gonna. I'm gonna like. I'm just looking up a description. Yeah, it says thinking. here it's, it has a refreshing taste, almost nutty but full-bodied and very delicious. 
Well, I'd like to try it. I think it's great that you had that on hand, and then you were like, "Let's get into the into the thing, you know, the spirit of things." Yeah, you can get like vanilla rooibos. You can get. I know that there. I've seen like uh, lemon ones out there. The one that I had was like a peppermint one. But yeah, different different varieties. Whatever you like, I guess you can try it. Some people don't like it because it's like I said, it's kind of got like this like medicine kind of a little bit flavor to it. But I like it. Redbush tea is made from the branches and twigs of a tree called Aspalus linaris. This fragrant, caffeine-free tea is the national drink oh, of South Africa. I thought I had more caffeine. Maybe I'm thinking of green uh, well, tea. May, could there be an additive to it that wouldn't, in your particular one, that? No, I think I'm thinking of green tea. That I think green tea is more caffeinated than regular, like no, black green, tea. Green tea has no caffeine in it. Well, maybe. Where? What am I thinking of then? Wait. <laughs> White tea. That's what it is. <laughs> we have new tea uh, options at work, and one of they all put the caffeine level on the side, and the one with the most is called Booyah. <laughs> <laughs> no, green tea has caffeine in it. Oolong it. tea has more caffeine. No, black tea has the most caffeine. I was wrong. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, like green tea has some caffeine in it. Oh, it does? Okay. Yeah, yeah. My mistake. Yeah. Um, It's funny, because when she kept saying bush tea... Even though I knew she was talking about, you know, tea and, and all of that, I kept hearing my, one of my coworkers, um, I have various coworkers that come from different parts of Africa. Um, none of them that come from the south where Botswana is, but um, one of my coworkers who comes from Ghana had uh, gotten very frustrated with one of the um, girls in her class and the way this girl kept acting. And... She finally said to the girl something to the effect of, uh, you're acting like a bush girl. <laughs> and I said, you said that to her? She says, yes. And I said, does that mean what I think it means? And she said, yes. She comes, she's acting like she comes from the bush, from out in, in the country, out in the, you know, oh she's raised in the bush. And I said, <laughs> I, I think the equivalent here in America is you're acting like you were raised in a barn. Um, <laughs> And she, so we ended up laughing about it because we were like comparing idiomatic expressions. But yeah, the thing but, that uh, he, he wasn't calling, uh, or your coworker wasn't saying, like, you're acting like a Bush girl, like Jenna or Barbara Bush, George Bush's no. daughters, right? Okay, no, no. <laughs> the thing that bugged me about the whole tea thing was like when she was she got her first customer and she was like, oh, but let let us drink a cup of tea first, and I'm like. What are you doing? Like, you're wasting time. <laughs> <laughs> you just get the sense, like, that's the pace of the place. Like, nothing, yeah. you're never in a hurry. Yeah. Oh, to, yeah. Don't worry about it. I was just surprised that's, that she didn't have the secretary make the tea and bring the tea. I think that's, like, very commonly, like, uh, like, because I, like, I, like, I, I think it's, like, a cultural thing where it's, like, yeah, everything's just so much slower paced. And I guess it's, like, when it's, like, you live in a really hot place. <laughs> Yeah, you're not going to rush. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it is a very hot place. That's yeah. one of the things that the, in the YouTube videos they were talking about was just the the heat and no air conditioning. Yeah. Like my apartment in in the summer. Oh, <laughs> terrible. <laughs> when when I was in China many years ago, we were there during a heat wave and just before we were leaving, I had a chance to go to this bookstore where I knew they sold books in English. And I wanted to get there. And, I mean, by heat wave, it was a really bad Chinese heat wave from, you know, 
this very hot area in China. So it was much more so than we have here. So being me, I'm like charging on down the street to get to the bookstore and people are staring at me like I'm a crazy person because, of course, everybody else is walking like a normal person would <laughs> in a hundred and some odd degree heat, you know, a hundred and Fahrenheit, it was probably like 106 or so, 107, something like that. And, and I've got kind of water is kind of condensing on my, on my skin because my skin is cooler than the air around it. And, uh, and people were just looking at me like I was insane. And I realized, okay, this is, yeah, I'm like at the totally (laughs) wrong pace for this place and this temperature. And I should just slow down. It's just stupid, you know. Mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the midday sun. It's it's, it's hard to you know change your pace. Like I, I always feel like I'm I'm rushing, and then I wonder what I'm rushing for, and it's like it doesn't matter. I can't. I I, I got to walk a certain pace. Yeah, I, it feels yeah. weird not to. It feels yeah. like I'm lethargic if I don't. <clears throat> yeah, and I mean, at that point, I was still I was still um, from you know years and years of commuting into New York City, and and you know. Um, running around in New York and you know there you you walk I mean <laughs> I actually had a policeman in his scooter um come down the street next to me once in New York just timing to see how fast I was going on the sidewalk you know as I was walking I was like how am I doing you know it I, was, I don't know I was going like six miles an hour or something but uh you know it's yeah it's it's a different way of doing stuff and you need to slow down also in some cultures like i assumed that that one might very well be a culture where you know the first thing you do is offer somebody something to drink something to eat before you do anything because in a lot of cultures it's just rude to do anything other than that i i love that entire scene um happy babetsy and she she's she's come to um Ma with a problem and is wants to tell her, but our lead character cannot stop interrupting her. Oh, I love your name. Oh, your your parents must have loved you so much to give you such a great name. Imagine if your name was worse. Yeah. <laughs> or ugly. Ugly. Or uh, and then the uh, the woman offers up fatty, and then it's like oh, and and <laughs> precious is like, don't worry about it. I'm traditional build. That's the other kind of unusual <laughs> thing is that you know the lead actress, uh, not like some sort of waif. She looks like a person would look, but it's not <laughs> typically a a person you get to see on television. Yeah. But I loved television. it. I don't know. <laughs> it's just, I thought she was like, so like, she, you know, like I really thought she was like an attractive person, like inside and out, like just like, yeah. just a beautiful woman. Like, you know, like, oh, yeah. I don't know. I, I was so happy that they picked her as like, as the character. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. I agree. Yeah. And, and I love how, casual again i'm right back to the whole casual thing i love how casually they integrated the different attitudes towards her build and her weight throughout the entire movie because it came up over and over again in different ways with different people um and you know she wasn't bothered by it at all as you said she said you know it's traditional and a lot of men like this you know like yeah like it that way, which is very true. Like that guy and, Kremlin, which is yeah. <laughs> not a good name. 
I, it was so weird because his wife was quite thin and then yeah mm. but then he was like oh well you know but it's like that is so like uh a person to be like oh you know i don't like that type of person when they actually do in secret <laughs> i just don't want to mm. admit you know mm-hmm. yeah can we talk about let's say the the name of the place that she found him the go-go oh. handsome men's bar yes <laughs> <laughs> If you're gonna go, go handsome. I thought it was I thought it was like a gay bar or something at first. <laughs> a lot of places in Africa they don't they don't admit that they have such a thing as gay men. Yeah, no, that's true. But we did get the sassy gay bestie. Yes. And no, nobody <laughs> seemed to have a problem with them. No. No. Nope. Nope. Yeah. The uh, going back to her weight for just a minute, there were it was interesting the like the snide comments by the the girls going by when she first set up the detective agency. Yeah. They may there was that group of women who went by young women saying kind of who does she think she is to uh start a detective agency? A woman can't start a detective agency. Who would go to her in any way look she's fat and and making nasty comments about her weight? Mm. And all of this, right? Like, how can you? How can she uh, go undercover? She's she's an elephant. Right. Like, she'd right. make so much noise with her stomping. Right. Mm. Yeah. So there was that. You know, that whole thing going on. And then she got dissed by the uh, when she went into the bar, and almost all the women in the bar were were thin of some you know sort or another, which was one of the reasons he zeroed in on her because she looked different and you know and so it came back a bunch of times and then of course that was that was the wife's immediate thing is to go after her and he had he had gone into a whole thing about how fat she was when he was (laughs) saying that he had been helping an old lady (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. so it it was interesting that they had that dichotomy going back and forth you know with with putting it down and yet there was also the acknowledgement that she was also quite beautiful Mm. and they did make it a point to have some not some like when she was at the car without the the cheating husband there they had a a picture of her again from the back when she was kind of swaying to the music a little bit Mm. And a uh, little bit of hip movement and all that was definitely meant to be, you know, kind of sexy. Yeah. And they had some shots there independent of that where it wasn't, it was like an independent gaze. It was not specifically through a specific man's eyes, but to just kind of remind you that, yeah, there's, there's people finding her attractive and, and they're, you know, she's sexy lady. Mm. Uh, yeah. She's not fat. So no, I don't. No, she. But she is heavy. No. She is heavy. She's. Yeah, I guess she's curvy. Curvy. Oh, yeah. Very curvy. Yeah, she's. Gorgeous. Some people would call that fat, though. I mean, like, in if you're one of those really shallow young girls, like, it makes sense for them to say that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the she... wife was the wife was ridiculously thin, if I, I mean, recall correctly. Yeah, I mean, like she she was bigger, you know, bigger. Yeah, but like, I mean, like. I don't. I don't think she was grossly overweight or anything like that. 
Well, no, not even I don't know. The... It's very. It's it's such a big like. I don't know. She was Zoftig. Yeah, especially considering what the ca- what the camera does to to you. I mean, it definitely puts weight on you. It's so... difficult. I find it so difficult to judge that uh, people's uh, weight, and I mean, you shouldn't really, but. But people still do, you know, but it's it's just so hard because some people look bigger, but they like, you know, that's just because they are bigger. You know, it's not because they're unhealthy or anything like that. It's just genetically, they're just a bit bigger than other people, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like so difficult because like you might get that still that judgment of, oh, you're unhealthy. You don't, you know, you don't exercise. You don't eat right. You know, you're, you know, I don't know. It's just so hard. It's Carol. It's complicated. <laughs> no, is it really? Are I you think, sure, Mel? I think so. It's very complicated. <laughs> I, I, you know what? You've convinced me. I agree. <laughs> I was expecting someone younger, perhaps younger. Uh, when when someone says secretary, a, an image springs to mind of of someone who in is in a tight skirt who will very soon be disgracing herself under a desk with her boss in ways that only God knows how she can still look at herself in a mirror. Uh, not quite, not always, but often. I cannot tell you the number of times I have applied for jobs with my 97% and found myself in competition with a girl with 42% and a very short skirt. And every time it is short skirt who gets the job. Mm. I'm sorry to hear that. It is the way of the world. It is the way of the men's world. But this is the number one ladies detective agency. She had some wonderful fabric choices. Oh, I know. I loved her dresses. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, man, I want, I want, like, I wish I could wear, like, some of these dresses. (laughs) And, you know, like, I just, I feel like I couldn't, but, like, they were really pretty. I know. I know. That's, that's, that was the problem I had with, um, my old school, um, not this year's school, but before this, uh, we had such a great Black History Month presentation every year. And, um, you know, my coworker who had, you know, I was talking about earlier about the Bush, Bush, Bush girl. Um, she, uh, Barbara and Jenna. <laughs> and their secret twin language. <laughs> she used, she, um, she was, well, she and I became pretty good friends and, uh, and she would bring in, you know, African dress. Oh, she had some most beautiful, you know, and she get, dressed up and stuff and or when my boss gets dressed up they they've got the most gorgeous dresses they're just and the hats and everything is great and she would bring some in for the black history month presentation for some of us who are not african to you know to wear for that day and you know i always felt like oh am i allowed to do this yeah yeah i know know? and And then, like, last year, I was kind of like, oh, am I allowed to do this? And I realized that she was feeling like, you know, I was ashamed to wear it or that I was rejecting it. You know, she was getting hurt. And I was like, no, they're beautiful. Yes, I will wear it. Forget this. I'm not going to worry about how other people feel. And was know? it fun? Was it fun to wear? Must have been fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was. Yeah. It was. I, feel like, I feel like if someone is inviting you to wear yeah. it, like I think, like why, why, why is that wrong? Do you know what I mean? Like it's, I do. it's in solidarity with someone else. Like I know what you mean, like by the hesitation. 
Right, and it's I you understand. know it's it's yeah. in front of a school full of people who yeah don't necessarily know that you know what the deal is, but it's like yeah. you know what you know uh, the people out there that know me that's <laughs> fine, and the people who don't, I'm gonna go with making my friend happy. Exactly, for sure. You know, no, and and yeah, it was it was it was nice. Unfortunately, I didn't get any pictures. Oh, uh, that would have been cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the the fabrics are great, and you can buy them online. Oh, nice! Just, yeah, yeah, and uh, and some people, when when some of the teachers will go back to you know Ghana or Nigeria or wherever, and um, they'll ask them to to have like a dress made for them there, and uh, they'll give them all the the measurements and everything like that. Oh, that would be so cool to get like a a dress yeah. made for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but <clears throat> neat. Uh, with the political climate, it you know it's hard uh, to. I know. Wear it unless you're black. Mm. And so. even so, I bet you still hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you don't want to be. Hard. You no, know, you don't want to be insensitive, and you don't want to. You know. Yeah, I know. But they are pretty. Yeah. Uh, there is a scene in the episode where Idris Elba approaches our character, uh, our lead character, and she tells a young child to go get them a bag of uh, delicious dried mopane worms. Yeah, I thought, I, I thought I'd misheard that, but it was worms. I, I had not heard that worms. at all. Thank you. They are not gummy worms. What are they? They are worms. Oh, cool. Okay. So High in healthy nutrients and contain three times the amount of protein as beef. So what do they taste like? Is there a description online? Probably, uh, let's probably, see here. Probably just like bush tea, a little bit nutty. Probably. A little, uh... <laughs> da, 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 da. The worm is a large caterpillar. Ooh. Commonly, commonly called the emperor moth. It's called the mapane worm because it feeds in the leaves of mapane trees after it hatches in the summer. Mm. It is also burrowed into literature. <laughs> Finding its way, for example, into the pages of Alexander McCall Smith's series about the number one ladies apostrophe detective agency mm. set in neighboring Botswana. At least one of the characters munches on dried mopane worms. They're, they are uh, as long as a hand and thick as a cigar. Ugh. They excrete a, bl- a brown liquid once they make contact with skin, leaving the picker's hands wet and slippery. Ew! It just reminds me of uh, Survivor Man when he cooked cook those witchetty grubs. <laughs> and he put them on the fire and they just started squirting out liquid. <laughs> Survivor Man is great, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Once they are dried out, they can be eaten straight away. They can also be cooked in, uh, into a spicy or peanut butter sauce and served with uh, uh, pop amaze porridge. Hmm. I might try it. The taste is reminiscent of salty potato chips. If it looked appetizing, I might try it. And nobody, and someone didn't tell me what it was. <laughs> don't Just don't tell me what it is. <laughs> and then I'll be pleasantly surprised if I like it. Here's a, here's a recipe. 500 grams of dried mapane worms, three tomatoes diced, or one can of tomatoes, two onions diced, half a teaspoon of tu- uh, turmeric, three fresh green chilies, finely chopped, three cloves of garlic, finely chopped, tablespoon of fresh ginger, finely chopped. Soak the dried worms in water for three to four hours to reconstitute. Fry the onions in groundnut oil and medium heat until translucent. Add the turmeric, chilies, garlic, ginger. Fry for five minutes. Add the tomatoes. Cook on low for 20 minutes until spices are well blended. Add the drained worms and cook them until they have softened a bit, but still a little crunchy. Salt and pepper to taste. This is like, like 
I feel like uh, African cooking is very similar to Indian cooking. Because I just took an Indian cooking course uh, not that long ago, and it's like basically like the same ingredients. Mm. Yeah. Except for the worms. We didn't cook with worms. <laughs> but that's interesting. Mm. Uh, this person said, The initial taste of the mopane worm wasn't so bad, hidden by the garlic and onions, but as I continued to chew, the real flavor became unmasked, and I detected a blend of earth, salt, and drywall. It wasn't very good. I did manage to swallow it finally, and because this was a touristy fair, I even got a certificate to prove it. Aww. This is at the Boma Restaurant, a famous restaurant in the Victoria Falls Safari Lodge. Not for me, thanks. Mm. Part of my problem with it, quite honestly, is I have a real aversion to caterpillars in any form. Yeah. Yeah. I I can understand. Yeah, I just saw a picture of them, and it's like, okay, those look way too much like the caterpillars that give me the skeevies when they're alive. Mm-hmm. I've seen too many horror movies. There, There's things I can't eat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, and here's a link in Skype to a photo of the author. Maybe not who you'd expect, because he is a super white dude. Oh, geez. He is a Scotsman. Whoa, so Scottish. Did he do a good job, though? He was born in Rhodesia. Hmm, that's cool. Oh my god, the the covers of these books are charming. It just looks like, I don't know, it just looks so dated. It's just so charming. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it looks like a book that I might have read as a kid. <laughs> like, it's almost like a babysitter's club. <laughs> yes. <it's- laughs> Little House on the Prairie. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. It's just, that's what it reminds me of. Have you, have you, I'm sure you've seen the Twitter account where they take the the young adult books, but then give them funny titles. No, maybe I have. You, you probably have. Maybe. I'll see. I'll I'll message well, it to it, you. I think I have, but yeah, send it to me anyways because I would love to see that again. So the question from the Atlantic in the Ladies Detective books: There's a deep love for Africa at the heart of every story. Was that part of your goal to portray a peaceful vision of Africa and counter the stereotypes of war, disease, and famine? He says, I didn't really have an agenda when I started writing these books, but I suppose what I wanted to do, without necessarily necessarily articulating it at the time, was to convey something of the special nature of Botswana. I really wanted to say something about this country and its people. I suppose, in retrospect, what I was subconsciously wanting to say was, don't write off the sub-Saharan Africa. Remember, there are wonderful things here. Mm, that's great. Yeah. When I was 33, I lived in Botswana, which is quite the opposite of Zimbabwe. It's really well run and has been very successful, extremely peaceful. I really enjoy the country and found it quite fascinating, and I've been back every year since. So clearly he's got money to travel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I found a list from a website called africacradle.com. I don't know when this was published. Top 10 Most Democratic African Countries, and Botswana is number three on the list. Nice. Since independence, the party system has been dominated by the Botswana Democratic Party, which has never lost power since independence. Each of the elections since independence in September... Since the independence in September 1966 has been freely and fairly contested and has been held on schedule, the country's small white minority and other minorities participate freely in the political process. There are two main rival parties and a number of smaller parties. Some argue that the openness of the country's political system has been a significant factor in Botswana's stability and economic growth. General elections are held at least every five years. Nice. 
So yeah, number three. Number two is Ghana. Number one, um, another thing I can't pronounce on this podcast, Mauritius. Oh, Mauritius? Look, Mauritius looks French. Mauritius, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mauritius, yeah. Where does Nigeria fall on the list? I mean, does it rate all the African countries? or? No, it's just the top ten oh, in the terms top 10. of Democra- democratic principles. Okay. So I don't see that on here. Yeah. Well, it's been... At the bottom? <laughs> I don't know where... I don't know where... I was curious where it would land on oh. this. I didn't think it would be in the top 10. <laughs> the number one trending article in this website, africacradle.com, Kenyan man ejaculates on woman's legs in a bank. <laughs> Ew! Oh my goodness. Number one article. But you know what? Number number, number one... one article, trending. Trending. Trending articles are always like, like the silly ones, usually. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you want to have a... Oh... Sort of a laugh, I guess. So why? That's not. It's funny, but it's not. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I feel bad for laughing. <laughs> well, oh, I'm a terrible a person. Pretty, yeah, I always <laughs> worry when it's a celebrity that's trending. It's like, oh no. Good. So, what, how does this make you feel? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, um, something else I did research on was the average monthly income in Botswana. Yeah. Currently, it's $996 US. In 2008, when this was produced, it was 861 hmm. So this guy, in one of the plots, he wants payment for his finger, yeah. but he must have lost his finger. Did he lose his finger accidentally earlier, and then he... Yeah, I think so, and then he keeps claiming it. Keeps claiming it. But he didn't chop off his finger for the money, right? He He just took advantage of a bad situation. I see, okay. That's what it sounded like to me. His finger was amputated because there was some kind of uh, infection or something. Oh, oh, this is why it's unusual. He wanted 4,000 pula for his missing finger. Right, what is a pula? That's their their currency, but 4,000 pula... In back in 2008, when this was made, it would have been $361. Mm. So the average income, monthly income back then is 861 So it's basically two weeks' income. Now, if you lost your finger in an industrial accident, are you really suing the company for two weeks' wages? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know how much you're supposed, supposed to ask for. But uh, millions. Millions and millions. <laughs> then you talk down. Talk it down. They were talking about like it was so much money, though, and that wouldn't make any sense. Are we sure when this is supposed to happen? I mean, we know it's supposed to be in the 21st century, but I don't know. I, I think it's present day, but what I think is off about this is that when they wrote the script, they made it 4,000 Pula because it sound because no one they're they're trusting that I'm not watching the show and going to the uh, currency calculator, inflation calculators. To figure out how much 4,000 Pula actually is. I think they thought 4,000 Pula, people will hear $4,000. No one will do the math. No one will check. They did not estimate how much time I had on my hands. <laughs> I mean, if you hadn't done it, I would have been doing it because I figured that you'd probably do it. Because um, they kept talking about, you know, Pula and 4,000 Pula and all this. And... The way they were talking, it sounded like a lot of money because he's talking about, oh, these guys have, you know, six children and stuff and they could really use that and, and this will, you know, 
give these kids clothes and a and a, a playset and a this and a that and it's I don't know yeah it's definitely something does not work here. But again, this is one of those things like I'm only like sort of picking it out for fun. It doesn't affect my enjoyment of the show one way or the other. Yeah, I agree. Hello. Is your husband missing? Did someone steal your cow? If so, you have reached the number one detective. If you are looking for your husband, we do not know. This is the number one lady detective At your service, at the ready. No, there's nothing to write down. I'm just wondering if... There is always something to write down. Procedure is very important. This is my training. We go back over our cases. It'll be there. Dates, interviews, every hunch, every hint. Oh, in our case, every ank, every int. It transpires we have no H on either typewriter. We have lost the H? No. It was already missing. Uh, let's go into feedback. Uh, I've got some feedback from Harold that we'll have Matt read. This was pleasant enough. If you can put aside all the, all of the suspend your disbelief moments. It reminded me of a lot of indie movies from the 90s and aughts. Probably a lot of them produced by the same producer as this one. He who shall not be named. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention that. Oh yeah. It was very colorful and light. The lead actress was good enough <laughs> to keep me watching. Aww. And I got that... Got the vibe that the mysteries didn't matter much. It was just about being around this person and her friends. But I would not want to watch further unless I heard that the stories got more interesting. Huh. Didn't like it that much. Hmm. Didn't seem to. Surprising. I didn't find anything really wrong with it. I think a lot has to do with um, how much you're into character versus story, you know? Yeah. Because I really, I I love character a lot. I mean, I like a well-plotted oh. story as well. I, and, and I do, yeah. Because I'm trying to get Matt and Mel to watch The Leftovers, but that that show is like so tightly plotted, especially in the second mm-hmm. season, that it's amazing how things are plotted and paid off. Like, there's such an at- attention to detail that it's like a, fi- a finely tuned clock, you know? It's amazing. And I really dig that. But that's not what this show is. And I always approach television shows like on their own terms. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a little like some like intro to X and, and, uh, those people who, you know, that's the X-Files podcast. They've kind of rubbed off on me where I'm sort of like a little more critical about things that when before I'm just kind of like, well, if the show tells me to hate a character, I hate this character, but love this character, I'm going to just like do what the show tells me to do and not really think about it. And this show, t- this show specifically, show tells me the stories don't matter, the plot doesn't matter, and I'm okay with that. I yeah. was totally with you until you said about the loving a character, hating a character, what you know, whatever the show tells you to do. I, I'm less I like that. I'm less like that now. But way back when, when the X Files was on, I didn't like Jeffrey Spender because the show told me not to like Jeffrey Spender. I never thought about it. Like, oh, actually, he's. He's right, and our heroes are wrong. Like, I never really... But I was also a teenager, so... Ah. Yeah. Okay. That That's makes exactly sense. my opinion of the X-Files. Teen- As a teenager, I was like, this is fun. As a grown adult, I'm like, this is shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, 
Don't mince words, Mel. <laughs> it's all about, you know, maturing as a TV viewer. Like, I just don't... But, I, but I'm still kind of, like, a little bit like that, where it's like, if the show is kind of... Like, I just get on its own wavelength, and then it's only afterwards when people have, like, really critical opinions, where I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess that didn't make sense, or, or that is a big plot hole, or that that was weird. But I just didn't really think about it at the time, because it did, like, it wasn't where the show's focus was. So I overlooked that whole piece of it. Yeah. Yeah. And now that you mention it, I look at it and go, oh, yeah, I guess it didn't really work. Hmm. I think, I understand exactly what you're saying. I, um, my feeling has always been that when it's got like a huge plot hole or something, the rest of the show has got to be good enough that you want to overlook it. That makes you want to just go with it. And, um, and I'm okay with that. You know, if, if a, if a show can make me, you know, not care about a plot hole or something like that, great. I'm, I'm on board. Um, if, and I agree with you. I mean, I love a well-crafted, um, if something is all about the, the, the structure and the craft and, and how it was put together, um, I'll go with that and and enjoy that ride, you know, um, if that's what we're on. The only one I have a hard time with taking things as they are is horror, um, just because it so turns me off. Yeah. But um, but that's just that's just me. It's not the fault of the you know the genre piece. But uh, yeah, if it's all about character and they're characters that I want to know more and I. I want to see what they do, and I want to root for, or um, or I want to, you know, love to hate, or whatever. If they do a good job of character, then I can go with character. If it does a great job of craft, I can, you know, I can go with a greatly put together plot, you know, a, a mystery or a, you know, whatever it might be. Um, but I agree with you. you. Can take things on their own as long as they're well done. Go with it. I'm sorry you didn't like it more, Harold. And I checked with Nutty because I know she's watched the whole series. I, I wanted to know a little bit more about like the mysteries and and do they get I don't know a little more sophisticated. Let's say uh, this is what she had to say: the mysteries, like on Veronica Mars and iZombie, are the backdrop of the overarching story of Precious and her friends. There's a lot that you get swept up into, and a lot of the stories end up connecting to each other. I can't uh, advise someone who's. Bo- I can't give advice for someone bored by the show, though, because I was hooked on the first episode. Yeah. Yeah, I'm totally hooked. So, um, why don't we read? Why don't we hear more from Nutty and Matt? You can read this one too, because the other one was so short. Uh, I love this show, and I am so happy you are covering it. Uh, I hope each of the hosts take the opportunity to watch the whole series. I saw the show when it first aired, and fell in love. Uh, I then read the book, which was also a delight. I think I like the show better because of Jill Scott. She is amazing. I had already been a fan of hers, but seeing her act in this role was very special to me and resonated with me even more. Her portrayal of Precious is so perfect. It gives more to the character than the author had. I love how the struggle of feminism and body acceptance, acceptance is in every episode, and yet it isn't a huge message being flashed with a neon sign. It is portrayed as part of everyday life, which it is. Uh, I love her attitude and how she puts on a brave face for the whole world. 
Also adore how the character is a strong woman but still has her own flaws, her own struggles, and her abusive past and the anxiety she deals with every day as a result from that abuse. It doesn't make her character any less strong, and she isn't strong because she overcame abuse. I hate that trope. She is strong because that is who she is. I also really like that we have a look into this culture that isn't normally represented in the media. Normally, we are shown one Africa, a whole continent summed up by one or two stereotypes, whereas this is a very specific culture of one country, and even more one part of that country. After a decade, I rewatched this whole series. I thought I hadn't seen some of it because there must be more than seven episodes, right? Nope, I saw them all. And fell in love all over again. I think it holds up well. It inspired this piece of art I made last night, too. Where's the one? <laughs> There's the link to it. It's it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is. Fun. Mm-hmm. Little flowers, I love it. I, ha- that, I always liked her little headbands, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It looks like a shower cap. It does! <laughs> <laughs> it's so nice, though. Yeah, it's, it's sad. There's so few episodes. And I think it ends on a cliffhanger, too, of some sort. No. No, it's like Twin Peaks. Oh, she gets stuck in the Black Lodge. <laughs> <laughs> Not as bad as Twin Peaks. I don't think it's that bad. But I think it's it's one of those where it's like, I can't wait to watch the next one. And that there never was another one is like, I remember just being deeply <laughs> saddened. By that. Sorry, I'm just picturing her with like a syrupy cup of like rooibos tea, <laughs> just like pouring it out, <laughs> sitting <laughs> sitting on a zigzaggy chair. <laughs> rooibos. <laughs> Why don't we rate the episode and then say if we would watch another one? Uh, I liked it a lot. I couldn't find many flaws. Um, can I find any flaws? Yeah, we mentioned a few, but yeah. Well, I mean, the character had flaws, but she was supposed to. That made her more human. Um, I don't know if the episode had many flaws that I that really bugged me, but I'll still give it a nine out of ten because I don't know, didn't feel perfect. It was still really, really good though. Nine out of ten, hundred percent effective secretary secretaries. <laughs> <laughs> and I would watch another one, even though. I never do. <laughs> yeah, you don't have time, but that's not really the point. Like, is, is like we're not going to check in and go, well, did you watch it or not? <laughs> Hold us accountable? You got a spreadsheet? <laughs> did they watch this? Check. <laughs> uh, uh, I will probably also give it a 9 out of 10. Matt, I find it funny that you gave it 9 out of 10, like, 100%. Like, that's kind of weird. She's <laughs> done 90%. Yeah, 90%. <laughs> yeah, but the secretary was 100% effective. Yeah, I guess. It's confusing. Anyway. Oh, I, I just want to mention, because uh, it, she's revealed as having the highest score in the secretarial college at 97%. And at the end of uh, the episode, she asks, like, were you satisfied with my work? And 100%, 100%, 100 satisfied. And there is, like, such pride like the emotion that she has. Mm. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. It was a long time coming for her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I didn't, I, I loved watching this. It was pretty enjoyable. And yeah, like now that I know that it's based on books, yeah, it would be kind of interesting to read like a few of those books, I think. Um, yeah, I'll probably give it a nine out of 10 as well. I don't want to, like, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to say dubious daddies, but I really love <laughs> <laughs> it's just so delightful. 
Uh, I can go next. I've already said this is one of my favorite HBO shows and how bereft I felt when it wasn't renewed and going back to rewatch the pilot, like it just filled me with a, the same kind of warmth that the character has. And it's also hilarious too. Like Grace, the secretary, like everything she says to me, like made me laugh out loud, legitimately laugh out loud. Like her level of intensity and perfectionism and how she just kind of didn't like, Brook any kind of like sloppiness on and laziness from anybody else, but she held she hold she held herself to a really high standard, and she holds everybody else to such a high standard. But she's not obnoxious; she's just like driven and great. Like everyone is so nice on this show and polite, <laughs> and the way they talk and Eran, Emma, and it's just oh, the and the the culture and the the cinematography and the costumes and the music. Oh, That's I great. also love the credits too. The oh, credits yeah, yeah. were adorable. Oh, the credits were, yeah. Yeah, they were great. Like they were really well like well animated and stuff. I it was fun. I really needed to get out of the house, but I was watching it and it's like, no, I'm just gonna watch till the end of the credits anyway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're just so I well. Started to turn them off. No, they were just too good. Yeah. So yeah, I mean there's some I guess there's some story problems or maybe plot problems, but uh, I don't care. I'm gonna give it uh <laughs> N out of N missing letters on a typewriter. <laughs> I really, really liked it a lot. Um, I, you know, it just is pretty much everything Matt said. Um, it, there's such charming characters without being saccharine and syrupy. And they were just people who were people you'd really like to know. And, um, and it was, uh, I also, I liked the fact that a lot of the mysteries and stuff were, you know, very day-to-day kind of things. And, and it wasn't, you know, she wasn't dealing with all of a sudden these, these larger-than-life problems and such. And, and they weren't constantly going for the drama. It was kind of slice-of-life type stuff. And, and yet it, and it it was charming and it held my attention and I was never bored or anything. It was, it was just lovely. It was just a lovely, lovely piece of work. So I'm going to go for um, 9.5 out of 10 tuning fork secretaries. And yes, I would watch another episode. Absolutely. And what brings you to Haburon? Uh, I just sold my father's kettle. So I'm looking for a nice house in the city. And then I would find an office and start my own business. And what business is that? I'm going to open a detective agency. Really? Era. Then the bad men better watch out. (laughs) What? Those are the very same words my father said to me when I told him. And can I ask why a fine woman like yourself wants to become a detective? Because I love my country, Botswana, and I love Africa, and I want to do good with the time God has given me. In every bottle store, in every bar and market, 
behind every window there are so many people who want to know the truth about some mystery in their lives some mystery they cannot solve themselves that is what a detective is for and that is what i will do And this is the part of the podcast where I would uh, put in the theme song of the next show, but this one doesn't have a theme. <laughs> it's Generation Kill. I cannot think of a show that's more different than the one we just <laughs> talked about. Uh, oh these God. characters are the worst characters. <laughs> Talk about torture. I mean, entertainment torture. I mean, because saying the word torture when it's that kind of a, you know, subject matter and everything really, you know, kind of it's not appropriate, but entertainment torture this was you know what this was like what can't wait what this this was like watching and watching an accountant do their job mm-hmm. no it was like watching- it was like so it was so fucking boring it was like watching a group of some of the worst yeah except if the accountant human- was like was like the worst person like a murderer like no. bunches of <laughs> Bunches of really horrible people who were accountants doing their yeah, job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's toxic. My... It's toxic masculinity. The show. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I my I believe my uh, one of my few notes because I stopped even bothering was something to the effect of yet another part of American society I never want to deal with up close and personal ever. Yeah. But before we uh, really get into the nitty gritty of it, no. someone has to recap this thing. No. Have to even get into the nitty gritty of it. I'm sorry. Go on. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, let be- before we get to that, even let me just preface that uh, Generation Kill was a seven part miniseries based on the book Generation Kill: Devil Dogs, Iceman, Captain America, and the New Face of the American War by Evan Wright, who was a Rolling Stone reporter. Uh, oh. And this is the official synopsis. A Rolling Stone reporter embedded with the first recon Marines chronicles his experiences during the first wave of the American-led assault on Baghdad in 2003. And some of the Marines, well, at least one of the Marines plays himself, but most of them are, most of them are actors playing real people. Um, yeah, I recognize most of the actors. Uh, which oh, one was a, people? <laughs> which one was a real person in it? Of course it? they're real people. Yeah, the the real person was uh, Rudy, Fruity Rudy, the uh, oh really the okay. sort of metrosexual yeah person who had an espresso machine <laughs> yeah okay and was super into physical fitness and you can tell uh, that he's not an actor because of some awesome line delivery mm-hmm. at one point which I can splice in right here. Relax, my animal. Happy will get you fixed up. Mr. Potato Head at your six. Closing fast. All right. Yeah. <laughs> and that was that. Um. All right, so I'm going to get the wheel out, and I know it's not going to be me, because I just did it for the good one. <laughs> I have a feeling it's going to be me. Oh, I hope it's Carol. I kind of want to do it, actually. <laughs> you can volunteer. No. Carol can volunteer. Well, it is me, so it goes to the next person on the wheel, which is Carol. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> I knew it. I, you know, sometimes I know these things. All right. Um, All right. Let me get my stopwatch out. Remember that you've got sixty seconds to recap as much of this as possible without going over. If you go over, you're a loser. But if you go way under, you're a you're a devil dog chump. 
All right. All right. One, two, three, go. All right. So we have a bunch of Marines in the uh, in the desert of Kuwait getting ready to invade Iraq at the beginning of the Second Iraq War. Um, their bonding process is by being bigoted, racist, homophobic jerks uh, to each other, and the a lot of that process also involves being um, xenophobic and acting like the people around them are are not human, and they also make a lot of jokes about being bloodthirsty, etc. And who knows how much is real and how much isn't. And they invade Kuwait, and, I mean, invade Iraq, and and just show the problems in the military. The end. Oh, 57 seconds. Awesome guys, job. You guys. <laughs> We're both winners this podcast. As usual, I start to panic <laughs> as it hits 50 seconds, and I'm making a little motion with my hand. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> <laughs> Like it matters one way or the other, but still. I must really make you panic when I go. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, this is based on real people. Um, I don't any of them listen to this podcast, so. (laughs) Fuck all (laughs) y'all. Well, you know, it's. I think you left out how misogynistic they were as well. Oh, I didn't say misogynistic? I don't think so. Oh, well, bad me. Because, yeah, very much so. You know, sometimes you just can't get all the adjectives together. There's too many. There's too much yeah, wrong with it. These guys had it all. Let's put it that way. Um, really, I really wanted them to get in the first firefight and just turn into all, like, crying babies. <laughs> After, like, prefer, like, like machoing themselves up yeah, so much. Yeah. I think, I think if any of it had been surprising, it would not have bothered me nearly as much but you know it's kind of like when having to read lord of the flies or having to read um catcher in the rye or any of those others where i just i always hated those books it's like i know how awful human beings are (laughs) yeah you know i don't i really don't need to be reminded of just this is not a revelation and uh you know a lot of the mistakes that they were showing being made, you know, where they had to send the the prisoners back and they were basically betraying, you know, they tell people one thing and then betray them pretty much and like, okay, you know, like we did with the Kurds and however many other, you know, local groups when we were invading Iraq and saying, oh yeah, you know, turn on, on these, you know, your oppressors and we will support you and then do we know, um, you know, that kind of crap that we pull way too often it's like okay here it is again let's put it on tv and make me watch it yeah why do they feel the need to adapt the book like i get the point of the book which is let's send you know the reporter goes and embeds himself into this squad of marines he writes his experiences he writes what he what he sees they publish it into a book Fine. Can that not be the end of it? Do we did we need to have a dramatic adaptation of the book? Also, like, what is this offering to us that well, we it, needed to see? It reaches a different audience because an awful lot of TV viewers do not read books, and you know, quite a few book readers, I'm sure, don't read watch TV. But you know, that's true. Except 
the HBO audience, I feel, is sophisticated enough that they would be reading the news. And a lot of this is like, oh yeah, very familiar territory. Exactly. And as you said, should not surprise anybody. No. Therefore, no, I, mean, I don't know why this was needed. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I get your point. Yeah. As I say, what it certainly wasn't new to me. I did not read the book, um, but you know, it was definitely out there. The information was out there. So while watching this, <clears throat> I, I kept comparing it in my mind to Band of Brothers and how this group of men, this these Marines versus Easy Company and Band of Brothers, how those guys seemed like genuine men yeah. of class and maybe it's just like the sheen they put over that, which is sort of like a rose-tinted glasses, kind of like... The greatest generation. They're great and they're yeah. heroes and yeah. they're, they are the Band of Brothers and... Maybe that's just like the bent they put on it, yeah. but I feel like these guys have no maturity or perspective or any, like I don't need them to be progressives and liberals, but they are so s- uber masculine that it's such a turnoff. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There is a huge difference between um, the people who fought World War Two and the people who fought the Iraqi war. And that main difference is the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, Band of Brothers is taking place in a... And, I mean, yes, the Marines never... You aren't drafted into the Marines. You join the Marines. But it's still... World War II affected everybody. And see, I you thought know? about that, but Easy Company, I, I believe, was... Uh, they volunteered. Like right. This was sort of before... like That particular group of men... But they, they were not draftees. For different reason than exactly. to kill people. Yes, they volunteered because yes. they wanted to help their country. You know, exactly. like, they were like, "Oh, we got attacked. Now we well, want to defend our country." I mean, I don't right. know if if the Marines and, and Generation Kill were just bloodthirsty or if they actually had patriotic principles as well. You know oh, what? Yeah. But, the two it was a mix for both wars. There was probably people that were like just itching to kill in World War Two as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But the thing is that World War II, there was a very different, things went very differently. Like when we say, um, you know, volunteers in World War II, I know that, you know, my dad had always said that they knew war was coming even before Pearl Harbor. And um, my dad's brothers had tried to enlist and they tried to volunteer, but they weren't taken because they were being picky back then they you know before before uh you know 1942 or 43 they you know they were being picky and if you didn't have the best eyesight or you know hearing or whatever you know they didn't take you and then things got looser and looser and looser by the end so there were a lot of guys who were volunteering before pearl harbor or certainly after pearl harbor uh before the draft before they were actually drafted who who knew what the situation was and who were going in because they wanted to go in on their terms. But, you know, they hadn't necessarily had an idea of, oh, I'm going to volunteer for the military because either it's a family thing um, or it's a, a money thing. Or what's the third reason guys go into the military? I'm trying to remember now. What are the, sorry, what are the first two? Um, it's a family um a lot of military families, or there's the um, uh, the monetary reasons for school or for mm-hmm. you know 
Just, and the other one is just bloodlust. <laughs> oh, bloodlust, blood, bloodlust. Blood third one. Could could there be a, 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 a wanting to see the world kind of? Yeah, yeah. Wanting to shoot the world. <laughs> no, that's wanting a, that's wanting to good, yeah. wanting to get a, get a, get a, get out of your own environment and small My, small box and see something. Yeah, and then shoot that something. Well, no, you're right. Not everybody, not everybody <clears throat> shoot people in the army though. That's the thing. Like you could be. You know, like my uncle was in the army, and I'm pretty sure he got in there so he could see the world. But he was like a mechanic, like yeah. for airplanes and like helicopters and stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, you yeah. don't get to, cho- and you don't get to choose your job, and you don't get to choose where you go or what war you get to fight in. Like, well, you can train in like something, and that that's kind of like choosing your job in a way. You know, you're kind yeah. of if you don't have your trade, if you don't have the aptitude for it. They're not gonna. Well, yeah, but no. you're choosing Unless your you trade. Be a mechanic. Yeah. 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 Yeah, my dad tried to become, you know, any number of different things. And, you know, he ended up being a um, sheet metal man and repairing bombers. Um, you know, that was, you know, my, that was his thing. My uncle actually went over to Kuwait during the Iraq War. Maybe there were members of Easy Company that were, that said prejudiced things or oh, yeah. hateful things, misogynistic things. Oh, yeah. Uh, and we just, they, for whatever reason, they decided not to show us that because they were trying to portray them as just, like, straight-up good dudes. Yeah, they romanticized that time. Uh, of the, yeah. 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 I'm actually okay with it because the reverse of that is getting, like... Realism. <laughs> realism, and it might be realistic, but, man, is it unpleasant. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I have no doubt that, you know, as a matter of fact, I know for a fact that Certainly, people in the 1940s, men in the 1940s were, you know, just as misogynistic and just as, uh, Lord knows, just as racist and uh, more racist, um, you know, than than now. But there was a more of a variety, I think, in who was in the army and who mm. was in the Marines than than I think there necessarily is now of types of people. And there were a lot more people in World War II in all branches of the military who never, ever thought they would be joining the military until, you know, this crisis started happening. And they realized, yeah, I've got to join the military. And I guess in this case, it's a very particular kind of man who they funneled into this unit. Because they want, they need killers. That's what they want. And that's what the guy says. Like, he's pretty... He lays it all out there. He's like, I'm a killer and I came here to kill things and I'm not here to to be nice. And I mean, he said it very colorfully mm-hmm. um, to, I don't know, whatever that kid's name was. Frederick? I don't know. That wasn't the name. Yeah, it was Frederick. <laughs> hey, listen to this shit right here. But maybe you will be able to come home without having to fight. Bullshit. <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> Peace is always much better than war, and it would be nice if no one would be hurt. That's some fucking hippie commune shit right there. Where the fuck is this weak-ass child from? It's Frederick Firestone from 2707 Spencer Road, Chevy Chase, Maryland. Dear Frederick, thank you for your nice letter, but I am actually a U.S. Marine who was born to kill Aruga. Whereas clearly you have mistaken me for some sort of wine-sipping communist dick suck. And although peace probably appeals to tree-loving bisexuals like you and your parents, 
I happen to be a death-dealing, blood-crazed warrior who wakes up every day just hoping for the chance to dismember my enemies and defile their civilizations. <laughs> Peace sucks a hairy asshole, Freddy. War is the motherfucking answer. Hell yeah. But thanks for writing anyway. Your pal Ray. Oh, man, every motherfucker in this camp is just waiting for packages of dip, rip fuel, porn mags, batteries, hash chunks... Dirty ass jerk off letter from Susie Rocks. Except for Brad Colbert over here, who actually thinks that his mail order turret is gonna come in before we step off. Sorry, Brad. But no, all we get is this happy day fucking horse shit from Miss Cunt Lips fourth grade class. Can you Fuck fucking believe this shit? That's good, I like that. Oh, bruh. I've got an article here from military.com, and the name of the article is After Iraq, the Marines of Generation Kill Regret Nothing. And. I don't know if this guy's name is pronounced Colbert or Colbert, but he's the one uh, known as Iceman and played by Alexander Skarsgård in the miniseries. On a personal level, Colbert said his feelings about Generation Kill evolved over time. It's like listening to yourself on the answering machine. You sound like an idiot, he said, of seeing his conversations and remarks reproduced. I was excited because I wanted to be able to share my experiences with the world, and I had a vehicle to do that. But at the same time, I would cringe. So many of the things I have s- I said, having them thrown back in my face was embarrassing. He did lose some friends and said he experienced some ostracism within the close-knit commu- re- reconnaissance community as a result of the unvarnished account. While some officers, such as First Lieutenant Nathaniel Flick, a platoon commander, were generally well regarded by the junior marines and non-commissioned officers, others were sometimes regarded as incompetent or unable to handle the stress of combat and given unflattering nicknames such as Encino Man and Captain America. At the end of the day, it was real events, Colbert said. Uh, said he ultimately concluded, no matter how gritty or politically incorrect, it was real life. Hmm. Which is no excuse. Um... Yeah, I just it's unpleasant. I don't really Yeah, I mean yeah. What what yeah. was what was behind the creation of this show anyways? Like who thought it was a good idea? <laughs> you mean to adapt it to adapt the book? Yeah. I'll, I'll put that in the in, in Bing here. And how did this Those get... Amazon gift cards. Yeah. I said, "Uh why adapt generation kill question <laughs> mark?" <laughs> oh, here's the website Tanks and Purpose. Gee, I wonder what uh wonder what their agenda is. I don't know. No, thank you. To that one. Uh, what does it get right about the invasion of Iraq? Um, I found one that says 10 facts from Generation Kill that make us love the series even more. That's the one I just went, no, thank you. Yeah, they can They can have the series as much as they, they can take my portion of the series. Thank you. This is from PJ Media. This person says, The seven-hour-long episodes so unrelentlessly negative it may take a miracle for viewers to tune in the next week. Even the first hour's lone positive, a scene in which Marines get surprised by a stack of pizza boxes, turns sour when they learn the slices aren't free. <laughs> uh-huh. Probably, probably the best scene was watching the reporter struggle with his equipment. That was about it. <laughs> I just performed testicle surgery on the reporter. I forgot to spit out my tobacco, so I had to swallow it. (laughs) And this suit is, uh, too small. That strap is crushing my nuts. Reporter, you are possibly the biggest fuck-up I have encountered. (laughs) Yeah, well, maybe he fits right in. I couldn't quite get what it was that was, um, wrapped around, or I just... I mean, I got the idea of what the problem was, but not, not what had caused the problem. 
It was just too tight. It didn't fit him properly. His boots mm-hmm. didn't fit him properly. They were too big. But what did the guy cut off? It was like a, I don't know, like a some sort of a... It was testicles. It was like, just, it was like a, it's just like a, basically like a strap that was there, like holding things. Like, it's, who knows how army outfits work. But. <laughs> he freed him and in the, in the process, he, uh, snipped some pubes. Oh, you know what? And they gained, they gained some respect for him after that. Mm-hmm. I just had a thought of what it might have been. I think there was almost like a suspender on that. And if maybe the, the one side suspender got like in, like, Instead of both legs being on the other side, one of them got the leg between the suspender between the legs instead. So when he pulled it up, suspender maybe I don't know. Does I don't think it matters really. I don't think it matters either. It it was um, the uh, I mean the reporter was okay. Yeah, and they didn't like him until they found out that he used to write for Beaver Hunt. Pappy. I gotta be a battalion for a while, so make sure nothing happens while I'm there. This is a writer who's gonna embed with us. He's from Rolling Stones, so be gentle. Rolling Stones? Rolling Stone? Fuck it, they don't give us a dope smoking peace freak writer. Christensen! Faggot. Show Rolling Stone magazine where to stow his shit. You gonna write about how we're all baby killers and mama rapers, huh? You gonna tell all them people that read Rolling Stone how it fucking feels to be in a war? Actually, most avid readers of Rolling Stone only really know what it feels like to have a cock up their assholes. <laughs> Could be worse. I used to write for Hustler. You wrote for Hustler? We're in the presence of greatness. What did you write for Hustler? Uh, porn reviews, hot letters, beaver hunt. Oh, you wrote beaver hunt? <laughs> this way, hey, Brad, This guy wrote beaver Sorry. hunt. Oh, Thank shit, you. he must have those polaroids of your mom. Yes. Or Hustler, yeah. Hustler, yeah. 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 The, the only uh, thing I thought was funny out of this was the uh, the guy with the Hitler mustache walking around and, like, doing the, like, friggin', like, Heil right. Hitler behind that stupid, like, sergeant guy. Like, Ameriki. Ameriki! Ameriki! <laughs> oh, that sergeant, or whatever he was, he was great. Uh, oh, the one that, uh, make everything into a plural. I have a quote mm-hmm. here from him. Marines around this world would gives their left nuts to be where you are. <laughs> My uh, God. Yo, President! Is watching! America! Is watching! But more important! Godfather! Is watching! Make no mistake! There will be no fuck-ups! Marines around this world would give they left nuts to be where you are! Anybody not want to go? Marines! Kill on three! One, two, three, kill! Battalion! Attack! 
Also, I enjoyed the all the product placement. I thought that was just hilarious. Mm-hmm. Just like Skittles at first, and then Subway, and then Pizza Hut. Mm-hmm. So I felt like those were the big stars of the show. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't even notice most of them. Because like, one would show up, and then you'd be like, oh, that's, that's obvious, like Skittles. And then it showed up again, like someone ate more Skittles like in a later <laughs> scene. And I was like, what the hell is happening? And, and then taste the, the rainbow Subway- now. Yeah, and then the big subway van pulls up, and I'm like, what is happening? And then they're just scarfing Pizza Hut. What? Yeah, I missed the subway van. I th- How did I- you miss it? I don't know. Maybe. Oh, I Maybe didn't see I the was... subway. I saw Pizza Hut, obviously. Oh, Maybe was so it was in the middle of a great big eye roll on my part. Who knows? <laughs> um, I know the whole thing with the charms and throwing that out of the, the thing and them being bad luck. I wonder... Whether that was product placement or anti-product placement. I've never even heard of that There was candy. one point when... Oh, you've never heard of charms? Nope. They're just a little square hard candy that comes in a in a pack that would be like, you know, um, I don't know what you would... Hmm. Like like a certs pack or, you know, never, how... Never come across those. Yeah. Mm. I haven't seen them for a while, but yeah, they're just uh, they're just hard candy. They're square hard candy, you know, come in a paper tube type, square tube type thing. You just peel off the paper and, um, you know, take them one after another. It's mixed flavors, you know, lemon, cherry, grape or whatever. I don't know. It's been a long time since I last had them. I never understood why you would look at a sexy magazine while you're taking a dump. Um, I don't don't think that's what he was doing. It's probably what, yeah, probably not what he was doing. It could no. have been. No. You know, there's not a lot of time. There's so not a lot of time. You gotta... Multitask. <laughs> ah. I was pretty past these well. people. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I definitely got the feeling that that's not what he was spending his time doing. Um, I, oh, I forgot about the pedophilia stuff. Oh, right. I mean, I know it wasn't sincere, oh. but it was It oh. was still like one of those things where it's like, if it's female, don't make those if jokes. It, if it's female, you have to ogle it. To be to be a man. <laughs> uh. See, there's a guy sleeping with his gun. Um, we had lot of lot of dudes doing dude stuff, like slap a tickle fights. Oh my god, there was a lot of like dude ogling too. Like it's just like, and this is okay, right? Like we're fine. Like you know, like whatever. We're not we're not gay as they're like filming this guy. Like like all like I don't know, working out. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, the one guy could be the next Spielberg of Twink movies, and I wrote down I didn't realize there was a first Spielberg of Twink movies. <laughs> um, Michael Kelly is in this, best known to most people from House of Cards, but last seen on Hooplecast when he played uh, a gym guy on Life Stories Families in Crisis. Go, go back and listen to that episode. <laughs> mm, they say the F word a lot, not fuck, but the other one. Not a homophobia, mm-hmm. uh, racism from that one guy. Ugh. I don't even want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm done talking about it. <laughs> it was I bad. Enough, I've said my say about it. Your mustache hair is in violations growing beyond the corner of your mouth. I hear a godfather himself say, you look like a bum. Police 
got loose there. You're starting to look like Elvis's. Oh, no, I did like one thing. I liked that the interpreter was a stoner. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. the, like, the one thing he did was, uh, after those, uh, Iraqi, I guess they were, were they, um, they were, they, they were fleeing Saddam. It was terrible. They tried to surrender. They tried to they surrender. Back. Instead they didn't. of sending them, instead of sending them behind the lines. They, they even threw out that one guy's water. Yeah. It was like, just smell it. If it's gasoline, you'd probably smell it. Like, you can let him keep his little canteen of water. Steal all their but shit. I like that the, but I like that the interpreter took the sunglasses. That just fun. feel like, like <laughs> such a thing that a, that a guy who, like he's just out for out, out for himself. He was taking stuff from every single person. Yeah, he was enriching himself. Yeah, awful. But it felt like it. It felt like a um, just a good shading to that character, though. Which I don't even know the character's name, but you know, one more crappy piece of you know, yeah, yep. Real limited vocabulary as well. These these people, except for uh, Ice Man. I don't remember. He says, I don't know, he describes something as lofty and king-like, and it's like that language was appreciated when so much of it was juvenile. Stay frosty, gents. Hey! What do you got? I just waved at an Iraqi, and he waved back. That was cool. Good, Garza. He magnanimous. What the fuck does that mean? Lofty and king-like. Hey, buddy, it's 10 in the morning. Don't you think you ought to change out of your pajamas? I mean, all I could think was, you know, can anybody dispute why we're so hated in the world? Yeah, really. You no, know? and because we we have just such short-term thinking about our relationship with everybody else, and uh, just... and even they knew that, like the guy, like he was like, you know, we're tr- we're trying to establish good relations, and this is their first impression of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. not gonna work. Also, they let that death squad go. <laughs> oh yeah, the, di- the the like red diamond trucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. yeah, that's just like one bad decision after another, and uh-huh. it's just nothing. It's almost like there's nothing they can do to like contest the decision because that's how the army works. You can't even right. go oh, against yeah. your superiors without getting in really big trouble. So there's no kind of like it's a terrible system i think uh, yep. i just, yeah yeah um my last note is what even happened because <laughs> nothing happens during this whole thing no it really like no, just establishes a, that there's it's a, yeah kids. yeah i mean it establishes the the men and tries to portray them uh as sort of suffering under you know the the boredom of the place and the environment of the place and then whole kind of hurry up and wait mentality of they have to be ready to to jump into action at a moment's notice, but then when they finally do, nothing happens still. When is it happening? And they want it to happen, but then this other time, you know, you don't want it to happen either. Except, yeah. well, I mean, you and I wouldn't want it to happen. Some of them want it to happen because they're oh, there yeah. to kill things. They definitely want I have nothing in common with any of these people. <laughs> no, no. I, I'm I'm happy to hear that. Thanks. <laughs> High five. High five. <laughs> it's really, it's really just like it just feels like very outdated attitudes, like almost like medieval, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's you look at this and you have to be truly sarcastic to ask the question, you know. Oh, gee, how can how can all these uh, 
horrible events happen during <laughs> during the war, you know, Malai during Vietnam or, you know, yeah. uh, these massacre of villages, these, you know, gang rapes, these, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, would you put any of that past a group of these guys together? No. I Honestly, it's one of the reasons why I stopped going to uh, Coyotes games. Hockey games because of that kind of say, attitude. Give us a hint. Because they they would every game it was uh they they would show a person and say this this person was in the armed forces they did this job and then everybody applauded and stood up and applauded for this person and I don't know anything about this person mm-hmm. or you what they what did or what they believe in. Just saying that they wore a uniform to me it's just not enough to no. Have automatic, like, automatic respect. Like, it maybe has, like, I I need to know more about you. I can't just applaud for you. Who are you? Mm -hmm. You could be the worst person. But you could be one of these characters, one of these men in this show. And I'm wondering if that's, like, a a leftover of, like, having so much respect for World War II veterans. Do you know what I mean? Like, we have so much respect for them. Mm. And really, like, Before we knew because what they because they about. basically like they like quote unquote saved the country or you know saved the world you know it's it's probably but, part of that but it's also part of how th- this country sold the Iraq War to us that yeah and sure a lot of people who made a lot of money off of this thing yeah war is a racket I forgot who said that some famous person war is a racket so. People making who made the decision for the U.S. to go into war made a lot of money, and in order to keep it going, they created a mentality of you have to stand up and applaud for people and keep this whole charade going. Mm-hmm. And it's so it makes I'm full of like discomfort, like when I'm faced with it. And it's like I just couldn't do it. It's like it's not like I don't respect people who legitimately sacrificed or had really good intentions and did their jobs really well, mm-hmm. but you need more than just a little soundbite yeah. for me. And you're not really, there's not a lot of places where you can like have a safe space to say that <laughs> this yeah. podcast is one of them. Yeah. I, and if you don't like it, don't, 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 don't tell me that you don't, that you disagree. You don't have to send that email. <laughs> you don't have to leave that review on iTunes. Just unsubscribe. That's okay. <laughs> I, I think there's another another piece going back a lot further um, to the whole thing of like, I don't, you know, when you said, why, why is there this um, need to um, make heroes out of anyone who served um, without knowing what their story is? And I mean, there is, you know, you are serving the country. So there is that, but there's also, I think there was such a reaction after how badly um, troops were treated without knowing their story after uh, Vietnam and during Vietnam. Um, You know, there were so many troops that were vilified when that wasn't fair either, you know. Um, And there was such a a, a backlash to that when those troops grew up and 9-11 happened and, you know, and all this good stuff, and and all of a sudden you've got people saying to be a patriot you have to support the military right or wrong, and and after nine eleven there was this this hysteria of patriotism that was scary in itself. I mean, my son was five years old, and his preschool 
class was taught um, that um, that song um, about you know I'll defend America with my life and all of this stuff, and I did not like hearing my five year old singing about dying for his country. Um, and some people would have considered me unpatriotic for that. But a little fucked up. I think <laughs> I think uh, political propaganda is is unpatriotic. Yeah. It it really because I mean nine eleven, you know there were, I mean my my son was five. I knew he wasn't going to be drafted that day, but at the same time, I remember literally saying to people, if this is if this is you know. If these are terrorists from the Middle East, we're still going to be at war when my son is of draft age. And unfortunately, I was right. Um, you know, and so it's 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 complicated. And I just I want to go back to what I said earlier and just like really emphasize something, which is that I don't think all people who served in the military or are serving in the military are killers or horrible people or anything like that. I know that there are some people who feel that way very strongly. If you're in the military or any military, there's something, you know, like you're inherently a killer or a bad person. I don't feel that way. I also don't feel like you're immediately a great person deserving of applause. To me, you are just a person, neither of deserving immediate respect or immediate criticism because I don't know you. So once I know you, I can form an opinion, but I'm not forming any opinion about you, good or bad, because I don't know you. So... That's what I wanted to say. Yeah. It's a fair stance. Mm-hmm. No, I understand your stance. I, you know, I, I, like any, any person in a, that goes into a job where you are trying to serve the public in some way. Um, I think people deserve credit for that. That doesn't mean that they need mindless, um, mindless approval. And just especially, yeah. I'm sorry. No, go on. See, especially since it's not even often about that person. It's about a messaging to an audience. It's about the military who gives money to the to the uh, NFL so that they can put their own marketing into football games. It's not you know we're not spending more than a half of a second on who what that person did in whatever job they had. They're just a prop for. A marketing campaign of being pro-military mm. and there's no shading to it and there's no like opportunity for criticism it just seems like it's a thing that everyone sort of accepted and swallowed and i'm like super uncomfortable with it mm-hmm. yeah come a rote action without any thought behind it i mean we have a president who wants a military parade oh my god and then we're gonna have state-run media and we can't criticize anyone in the military. We can't criticize our leaders. And then it's like, boy, this is just a slippery slope to fascism, isn't it? Yeah. I, yeah. 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 I'm not, I'm not down with it. And <laughs> no, there's a lot that's going on that's, and unfortunately, you know, I don't know if you saw, there was, uh, some years ago, there was a, some years, not even that long ago, um, there was a chart that showed up on the internet where you could figure out what percentage of a person's life, if they were born in the United States and lived in the United States, what percentage of your life the country was at war? And, like, I put in, you could put in um, all different dates. 
So I put in my dad's lifetime, I put in my mom's lifetime, I put in my lifetime, I put in my son's lifetime. And each one was progressively a higher and higher and higher percentage. I mean, my both my parents lived through um, World War II, um, and my dad was older and lived um, through a smaller percentage of wartime, and my mom was a little younger, and she, her percentage was was more. I was quite a bit younger, and mine was a lot higher. And then my son was just pretty much almost his entire life. Um, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It's 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 from 2017, um, but I think the figures are probably still pretty spot on. It's from the Washington Post. Mm-hmm. So for me, 1981, 48.6% of my life, the United States has been at war. But if you were born in 2001 or later, 100% of your life has been at war. We've been at war 16 years, mm-hmm. 17, 17 years straight, basically. Yeah. But it doesn't affect us in most people. Not like World War II where you you run rations at home because you were sacrificing at sacrificing at home because of all your loved ones overseas. Like, does it, we're so like desensitized to it now at this point. It's just another reason where, yeah, I don't want to talk anymore about this. Just repeating myself at this point. Um, yeah. I mean, even when I was a kid, we we still had the draft um, when I was a kid and, you know, my brother, you know, came time for, you know, that birthday or, you know, when he was going to, and they had the lottery and you waited to see what your number was. And, you know, you hoped your number was high. And if it was low, well, you had a lot of choices to make, you know, are you going to Vietnam? Are you going to go to Canada? Are you going to try and do something so you'll get a deferment? Um, You know, make sure you get to college or, you know, something um it you know it was and that's where a lot of the protests and everything came from that's why so much of the american public cared that we were there because everybody was you know possibly headed to fight that war and now it's not like that and we're just letting it continue and letting it just keep going and going well because we don't know who we're actually fighting like it's It's so telling looking at this chart that you have a World War One, World War Two, Korea, Vietnam, Gulf, and then just terror. Mm-hmm. That's so amorphous. It's like what who's the enemy? Just terror in general? Then we're never gonna be not at war. Mm-hmm. Because we can make we can make our enemy anybody in any country, anywhere. Which is you know the military industrial complex's dream come true. And I know our country has to formally declare war, but I don't think we actually have in the last 17 years. I think it's like a war in quotation marks. No, I don't think you've had to in a while. <laughs> yeah, we you know, we didn't in Vietnam either. Lieutenant, have you gotten any word? I only get what's passed on to me from Godfather, and the only word he gets is from the BBC. If we're lucky, Saddam will back down, let the inspectors in, and we can go home. The important thing is we are doing our jobs by being here. All of you should be proud. Sir, that's not the word I was asking about. I was... We, we wanted to know if you knew anything about J-Lo being killed. He killed oh, shit. You know she's my cousin. J-Lo? She's Puerto Rican. You're Mexican. So? Ray, the battalion commander, offered no sit rep as to J-Lo's status. Fuck. 
Puerto Ricans are tropical Mexicans. Tell me, Godfather. What? J Lo's dead? Apparently, that's the word. Um, it's ugly business, and I know that some of the intent of this show, uh, this miniseries, and the intent of the book was to show the ugliness of war and really kind of like, hey, you people at home, this is what it's like in this place. Look how authentic we are. Look how, you know, brutally realistic it is. There's nothing pleasant about it. Not like this kind of spin that we put on World War II. I get the intention. I really can't like this because there's no one to root for here. It's just it's just pretty awful all, all around. But I wonder if Harold likes it. Let's find out what uh, what Harold has to say. Let's find out how Harold. If he <laughs> likes this more than the last one, I am sorry, Harold, that you're not allowed to send feedback anymore. <laughs> no, that's not true. Harold can always send feedback. I know, I know. Fine. All right. I've pre-read his feedback, so I know what I'm saying is just not true. So <laughs> it's yeah. an empty threat. It's an empty threat. Um, Matt, you can read this one. Oh, is it up already? The main thing that interested me about this was that it was David Simon's next series after The Wire. On the positive side, it was it definitely has that classic Simon and Burns dialogue, including the copious usage of lingo to give it that extra added realism even if we, the audience, aren't 100% clear about what they're talking about at all times. Also monologues, like the imaginary response letter to the school school children. Having said that, war is not my favorite genre, so this needed to be something special for me to want to see more, and I didn't get that. Maybe there is a recency bias to this. I am familiar with all the mistakes that were made in the war, so showing that they didn't have properly fortified Humvees wasn't telling me anything new. I liked the scene where they were all waiting for hours for their one translator to show up before they could start their invasion. But other than that, I think we all know that the U.S. did not properly prepare its military for the Iraq war, that there wasn't a lot of cultural sensitivity, and that there are military officers who are arbitrary and capricious. If you are into this kind of thing, this might be your show, but it isn't mine, so I would not watch further. Very sensible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, big relief there. That mm-hmm. uh, he didn't like it. We still like <laughs> you... Harold. <laughs> we'll always like Harold. Always. I know. Our staunchest supporter. <laughs> if not for Harold, I would really feel like we are doing this in a vacuum. <laughs> <laughs> but I do know that people listen because people have commented on our episode threads when we posted them on our Facebook group. And the Facebook group is just a small segment of the subscriber base. So hopefully there are people out there who just listen and don't feel the need to write in. That's fine. They listen and they forget we exist for a month. (laughs) Sometimes uh, when I post a new episode, there is a uh, subscriber loss. (laughs) Like it's, oh yeah, I forgot to delete this thing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I mean, it did change from... um, Deadwood, you know, which was the original. Yeah. But we have been having, I mean, admittedly, these are interesting shows, and, you know, it's, it's been, it's been a, uh, interesting journey for me. I don't know about anybody else, but for me, it has been as far as just getting an idea of what these HBO shows are like, in that I've never had HBO. It's been exciting for me, too. 
it's fun rewatching some of these things and some of the things like Generation Kill. I just knew when it came on that I wouldn't want to watch it. So, uh, I mean, uh, I don't know. At the end of at the end of this, I that, this is the one that I thought for some reason that when you said, um, I thought I remembered vaguely you saying, and and I don't think Carol's gonna like this one or something like that. Oh, did I? I, that's what I thought. I remember, no, I. But I don't think I did. Maybe it's just I'm just. I, what I probably said is I don't think any of us will like this one. <laughs> well, I don't think I. I don't think I singled you out. And I just personalized it. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, maybe I'm just hallucinating again. You know, these things happen. Alpha took three artillery hits. Somebody has an idea we're here, and we've got four hours of daylight to make it to our next position. We're not going to deal with these surrenders. It's from division. Send them all back the way they came. Roger that, sir. We have orders, Nate. Are they fucking serious? Send them back where? What, the fucking death squads? Sir, under Articles 13 and 20 of the Geneva Convention, we're obligated to take care of and protect any fuckers who surrender to us. Division has ordered us to unsurrender these Iraqis. Right, this is you see it. I'm not here to stop you. Give us a rating. Give us your rating. We'll wrap this up. Who, me? Yeah. Oh. How low can I go? You can go to zero if you want to. But you can't go below zero. All right. You know what? The sets looked pretty um, accurate. So I'll go for a point five. Um. Now, judging that rating against your previous ratings means you liked it less than Perversions of Science, which you gave a one. Well, did you? <laughs> I can't um, even remember back that far. <laughs> I, you know, I, I was like, what was Perversions of Science again? Oh, yeah, that was awful. Uh, yeah, this is worse. Um, yeah, they're both bad. But yeah, I'm going to go with the point five on this one. Mm. And uh, point five, misogynistic, homophobic, racist... Um, Parts of our society I never ever have want to have any dealings with the rest of my life. Out of ten, and no, I would not watch another episode. Not in a, I you know I just part of me wanted to do a Dr. Seuss thing, but I can't even bring myself to do it. Okay, I'll go next. Um, there were a, f- a few scant parts that I liked. Liked I liked the um the pizza arriving and then finding out that the guy is charging ten dollars a slice. Because he brought it all the way from Kuwait City, a personal peril, and that just reminded me of when Seth and Saul brought all those pots and pans through uh, Indian country to Deadwood at personal peril, and therefore you can charge extra. And I'm like, that's smart. That's capitalism. I like that. Um, I like the stoner interpreter, and uh, there's a couple funny things with the reporter. That's about it. Everything else was gross. <laughs> oh, and that the camp was Camp Matilda, and it was spelled with an H, like my grandmother spelled her name. I liked it slightly more than Hotel Room, so I'll give it 1.5 out of 10 uh, tins of chewing tobacco. Oh, God, that was gross, too. Because <laughs> that was so fucking gross! Chewing tobacco is disgusting! Oh, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, I, did, I missed, like, the whole thing, a lot of the stuff about the, uh, the pizza and everything, because, I mean, the sound wasn't even all that great. Far as being able to pick out the what different people were saying and stuff, I totally missed the uh, 
Ten dollars to slice business. All right, Matt. I did not like it at all. Um, I don't think there was anything entertaining or redeeming about any of it. Uh, (laughs) One out of ten exploding stoves. Same one out of ten product placements. Yeah. Charms. Charms. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's done. Yeah. Generation kill. So edgy. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Matt and I just abhor violence. Yeah. Hey, you want hey, you want to play Far Cry Five later? <laughs> pew pew. <laughs> <laughs> it's different because that's a video game and this is reality, and we are mature enough to separate the two. Exactly. <laughs> There's a little a bit of hypocrisy there, but not a lot. Not a lot. <laughs> um, you guys want to know what shows we're covering next on the podcast? Sure. Only if they're better than this last one. They're going to be better. Yay. Okay. I'm up for it. We're going to be discussing the pilot of True Blood. Oh. Okay. And the first episode of the HBO miniseries, The Pacific. Oh. I've so another watch that. Another war-themed th- thing. Yeah. But more like mo- I think more of a piece of Band of Brothers than this. So. Yeah. Is it also World War II? Yeah. It is World War II, but it is uh, Pacific Theater. Right, well, I figured that much. <laughs> I'm, oh, I'm because of the title. Very Nice job, Matt. <laughs> I'm very intuitive. Um, All I know about it is it has uh, Tim from Jurassic Park in it. <laughs> the um, little kid. Um, I know that I love the main titles, and I will just watch the main titles over and over again because they're beautiful. On Pacific? Yeah. The True Blood titles are good, too. So by the end of the show, I was sick of sick of the titles and the show. But True Blood, a lot of people li- loved a lot. I know. I've, I mean, I heard a lot of that. But I'm just curious. Would you say it's it's more like a a story with vampires or a horror thing? Oh, it's not horror. Okay. No, it's it's camp. It's porn. It's porn. It's porn <laughs> camp. Is it is it at least sexy porn? Yes, I think oh, so. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so tired of boring porn. <laughs> no, I think it's got enough like camp and sleaze to it that it's a lot of fun. I mean, it it started off as a really fun show and then got progressively stupider. Okay. All and right. it wasn't smart to begin with, but at least it was it knew what it was. It was having fun. Then it just oh. got so dumb and awful by the oh, end of it that good. I was like mercy kill this show please but the first two seasons were pretty good i've read all of the books in which the show was based and the books are really like tonally different than the show huh if the to- if the tone of the of the show is sleaze and camp and sex and gore the the book is more like what if a if a girl could read minds and lived in with where vampires were real hmm. and she just lived in a small town yeah and i actually would have preferred that as the show yeah it's not the show we got. The show we got is not really the books. But in any case, that's what we'll be talking about next time. All right. Uh, we also have to talk about if we're going to somehow work these two HBO TV movies into our schedule. The The two movies in question were Iron Jawed Angels, which is about the suffrage movement, movement in the U.S., and Grey Gardens. Those are both really fantastic TV movies. 
I just don't know how one with like the Kennedy family, like really. Yeah, yeah, I've seen part of that. I found it like. Uh, Have you seen? I shouldn't spoil like my feelings on it, but. Well, did you watch the TV movie or the documentary? The documentary. Okay, so this is the movie about the Uh, the documentary. Okay, because I documentary, like it was like kind of interesting, but then it was like really difficult to watch. Like after like, uh, like a good hour of it, I was like. Oh, yeah, the, mm. <laughs> I, I tried watching the documentary and it's very, like, there's no through line to it. So it's just sort of a collection of stuff that happens. Like, it's interesting, but yeah, it's just like becomes really, like, really hard to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the, the movie is these women's lives and it is a biopic and it is very professional and posh. And I think it's just really well made and, um, I'd like to watch it, but I just don't know how to, like, f- f- put it in the schedule. Like, I don't... Well, can't we do, like, since, I mean, they're both, like, two hours long, right? Yeah. Can't we do one on one of them and one on another of them? Yeah. Yeah, we can. I wouldn't want to do them together. I think watching no. movies is... I I don't even watch movies regularly. Me neither. Because they're just too <laughs> long. They're too long. Which, by yeah. the way, out of curiosity, which... uh. Which people are, um, the one that's about the suffrage movement, uh, which people are they following? Okay, so it stars Hillary Swank as leader, suffragist leader Alice Paul, okay. Frances O'Connor's activist Lucy Burns, Julia Ormond as Inez Mulholland, and Angelica Houston as Carrie Chapman Cat. Okay. And Molly Parker is somewhere in this too. Okay. All right. All right. So, I mean, I don't know all of those names. But my take is that's the later suffragette movement, more, you know, when they actually, like, got to where they succeeded. We should cover this for Women's History Month. Oh, shit, that was last month. <laughs> well, we can we can do it whenever and say it's Women's History Month. Yeah, we can do it whenever. I mean, we were doing these chronologically, but we already passed the uh, the date for that one. That aired in 2004. So we probably should have done that after we covered Deadwood in Rome. But we didn't, so because I think because I was going to group it with Grey Gardens, but to Mel's point, two two movies is a lot to have to watch. So yeah, why don't we just do one? Let's do Iron Jawed Angels, and so that actually let's do both of those movies so that we can break up the war stuff. <laughs> okay, I love me a good biopic. And both of these are biopics, so and they're both really good. Well, that's my opinion. Maybe you'll disagree. It's possible. Uh, as always, you can find, oh, hopefully that was entertaining for the listeners, by the way, listening to us suss out our schedule. <laughs> I could edit that out, but I'm not going to be bothered to. Uh, find us at hooplecast.com. Go on Facebook, search for hooplecast. Find our discussion group where we post lots of fun stuff. Uh, Twitter is at hooplecast. I retweet Deadwood things, but I haven't done that in a while. And always you can send feedback to hooplecast at gmail.com. Please don't send feedback about how much, uh, Matt hates the military and his country, cause, um, it's not really true, so don't say it. Well, <laughs> Better say nothing at all if that's how you feel. Uh, yeah, you clarify. I, mean, I don't. Just FYI, I don't hate my country either. I just really no. Carol hates America. <laughs> I don't. I don't hate America. I just don't want us to be jerks. Uh, same. I want. I want us to be the country that we have made ourselves out to be in song and story. And that's one of the things that's really bugged me these last many years is that, you know, we used to hold ourselves up 
as the place that Superman would feel comfortable. You know, truth, honor, American way, all that good stuff. And now we have just trashed that entirely and said, no, that's not what we stand for. You know, torture is not a bad thing and stuff like this. So, <coughs> Excuse me, enhanced interrogation, please. Whatever. So, you know, I, I want us to at least be trying to be that country. I don't want us to be saying, you know, hey, we're not a bunch of uh, naive whatever, you know, we embrace our worst qualities. No, that's not who we're supposed to be trying to be. We're supposed to be trying to be better than that. There shouldn't be a love it or leave it mentality. We should always want to do better, try more, be the fulfill the promise that supposedly we have, like live up to the hype, yeah. not just fall woefully short all the time, which is what it seems like if you were born in, in 2001 or later, like, sorry. Oh. But uh, anyway. So yeah, we want our country to be the best it can be. That's it. Thanks for joining me today, guys. All right. Thank you. On that happy note. <laughs> uh, uh, is this my cue? <laughs> yeah, we're all waiting with bated breath. <laughs> Fuck you. Oh, I thought we were going to do the new the new sign-off. Remove yourself, sir! All right. Yeah. Remove yourself, sir! <laughs> I like that one. I do. All right, we should get going. We need to eat, like, and then go to bed. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't we've, literally been, we've literally been on the go, like, the entire weekend. Oh, weekend. Right from the moment we got off work on Friday right till... <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, as they say on the number one ladies apostrophe detective agency, Salacental. <laughs> sure. You Which means stay well. I am Africa. I am Africa. With the strength of the cheetah, my native voice will ring. We are Africa. We are the heartbeat of Africa. With the rhino, the meerkat, the noble lion king. We are Africa. We are the winds of the Serengeti. We are the sweat of the jungle man. We are the tears of Nelson Mandela. We are the lost boys of the Sudan. I am Africa, just like Bono. I am Africa.
African, but we are African. 